Hey guys, what's up? It is week 230, and I bet you're wondering why the audio's off. Uh, finally, my Tascam, which I use to record external audio, is dead. So, therefore, I'm using the direct camera audio. It's going to be a little off for a couple weeks until I get a chance to order a new Tascam or some possibly other relatively uh, cheap but effective uh, piece of audio recording equipment. So, uh, if you have suggestions, let me know. Um, just something fairly easy to use that uh, does decent quality sound would be appreciated. I used a Tascam. Um, the, the way it kind of malfunctioned is that at first the screen um, would, it, it would power on. And you couldn't really change the settings. You could still record. So I was like, ah, I can work with this. And now pretty much it powers on. And I imagine that the settings got all jumbled. And it will no longer record. I, I just, it's time to replace it. It was janky and embarrassing to use for that long anyways. So, uh, yes, this was the weekend of Cinema Wasteland. So I am exhausted, as you can tell. Excuse King, back in full. Um, I did not shoot footage at Wasteland. Uh, I'm getting older and just running around with the camera, the shaky camera, because it's not really the type of run and gun camera. You're not really supposed to kind of do that kind of thing with that chaotic stuff. Um, I, I really just also don't like shoving the camera in a lot of people's faces. It's just kind of weird to do anymore at this point. Um, it, it was a little, it felt a little bit smaller than usual, but just in terms of, but it, it was absolutely really fun still. And it was a blast to finally go back. Um, I know there was a lot of people there and people are very worried about COVID and stuff and I don't, I don't blame them. Everybody can do their own thing, you know, but, uh, I, I, I had to go. It had been a few years and everything. I'd been working through this whole thing anyways. Uh, Eric Roberts was there, which was really crazy. Uh, I never thought Eric Roberts would be at Cinema Wasteland. Got a picture with him. He's really friendly, really full of energy. Um, and it's like he, he obviously knew how to move along the line. But at the time we caught him, it was Friday. Me and my friend Mac uh, from Horse Society caught him on Friday. And uh, we got uh, the selfies. when they had to be a selfie for some reason. Probably like uh, some sort of... Um, probably i guess like a contractual thing or something no actual picture just selfies or something like that it was only 20 bucks i mean i i do this just so i can kind of meet them and i don't want to waste a lot of celebrities time and i did get to just ask very briefly about chris penn i just wanted to see how he felt about working he said he was really great and uh he said he was a really awesome guy he really thought he was really cool and everything but he seemed to just be uh, full of energy man this guy is he's just running around looking around and stuff it was pretty cool to meet him uh see, pretty nice guy you know i mean like i i didn't get up close and personal with the guy but you know just that brief encounter was uh kind of taken back how full energy and how gung-ho and every uh, prepared he was it was just, just like kind of took me back but he was really friendly it was cool um so as far as the reviews uh, I, I should also mention that i'm finally done with my initial 1970 watches i told you last week i was pretty much done but i ended up watching four more two kind of features and two shorts although the features weren't that long my brain is fried though because like you said I, I watched all the movies early in the week and then i went to wasteland all weekend uh, sleeping on like five six hours of sleep like not that i'm a big partier I, i'm not a big i don't drink anymore or anything uh but it's just very hard for me to relax and sleep in a place that I'm not really familiar with. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I got a few hours of sleep, four or five every night, but it's just not the same. Pillows are too soft, there's that, nothing's right, you know, first world problems here. But, uh, yeah, so I, I will show you my wasteland haul. It's pretty big, and I've also got a bunch of other stuff that came in, too. Mail's run a little late, so um, everything kind of lumped in on that Saturday of the weekend. I was gone, so I got some stuff there, and I got the Wasteland. I'll keep it separate, just so you guys can see what the variety was at Cinema Wasteland. As far as the guests are concerned, there was... Um 
I, I know there's some people from Slumber Party Massacre. John Russo was there again. The guest list was uh, a little, um, a little bit less spar. It was more sparse this time around. Uh, I obviously imagine because it's hard to get a lot of guests, you know. And I, <laughs> with the changing policies and stuff, you don't even know if the show's ever gonna is gonna go on. So, uh, as far as that, uh, who actually was uh, there? I, I said Eric Roberts was there. John Russo was there. Oh man, there were some people from Slumber Party Massacre and Don't Answer the Phone, stuff like that. And then they had their. Uh, their typical tables that were there, the Diabolic table, the um, Severin table, the Synapse table, the Vinegar Syndrome table. You had all those tables. And then uh, some of my friends, the Toe Tag was there, of course. Fred selling his new movie, Final Interview. Then you had uh, Rock Bottom Video. Uh, Nate Rumbler had a table selling his stuff. Uh, Sean Donahue, Gator Blade Films, came out from Florida. They were selling their stuff. So there was, a, there was a decent variety. Full Moon was there. There's always plenty of stuff to spend money on at Cinema Wasteland. Uh, Paul Bearer Press was there. That's really cool shirts from them in fact i almost want to show you guys the shirts right off the bat because i feel weird about throwing them in the update and it's not really the same camera angle or anything like that so let's show this off real quick i got three from paul bear press this was kind of a limited con one i don't may care about limited but it was a night of living dead shirt and i don't have a night of living dead shirt and it looked pretty crazy like the japanese writing up there i believe it's japanese writing uh yeah very cool and i like the color design um Every time, anytime you can get a shirt that's not completely black for a horror shirt is always happy for me. And then we have uh, the New York Ripper from Paul Bear Press. <laughs> that is a gnarly shirt um, for a gnarly movie. And uh, as far as like New York Ripper is not my all-time favorite Fulci. And he had a bunch of Fulci shirts up there. He had House on the uh, House uh, by the House on the Edge of the Park and. Um, City of Living Dead, and geez, what was the? He had a zombie shirt, and I love all those movies more than New York Ripper. But this shirt was just cooler than those, and I love New York Ripper too. So why not? And this one is a movie that I don't love, but I I, I just love the cover art. It's kind of an infamous cover art for me, and I always found it very funny and just intriguing. And I love the rock and roll uh, horror movies of the '80s and uh, early '90s, even if it's just the idea of most of them. They're kind of nostalgic for me. So I grabbed this shirt of Rocktober Blood, which I also love that cover, the skull mask and the knife and the, the, um, half naked chick on the shoulder. Yeah. Um, and then last I grabbed the Synapse shirt, um, just because the colors were so kind of popping and it's a Suspiria and it's just like, even on camera, like that looks gorgeous, doesn't it? I mean, usually I try to avoid like the thick, kind of printed stuff on the shirts because it's just it's hard for me to breathe in my body you know i'm like i'm all i'm getting old man i'm just sweating profusely all the time just like a walking sweat sweat bag so um yeah but anyways this was too cool to pass up uh yeah i got a deal on the shirts too i mean that was 20 from i'm telling the cinema wasteland uh shopping experience here uh it's like a channel here like a home shopping network but uh, the synapse shirt was 20 and the rest i think i got three for what was it uh 65 or something like that. I can't remember exactly. But I guess we'll hop into the reviews first, even though people are probably here to see the Cinema Wasteland update right out there. They're kind of interested in that, I guess, maybe. Uh, but yeah, let's start with the reviews. Um, and the first is actually directed by the director of The Grudge. And uh, he also did a movie from 2005 called uh, Reincarnation, which I really enjoyed. And uh, I don't know why this cover is being all weird on me. Sometimes they get a little janky. I don't know why I'm like fixated on it. Do you guys ever get like that? Or just get fixated on fixing a cover? Okay, so it is The Howling Village. Um, yeah, so it's a Japanese film. And like I said, I'm, I'm not too familiar with his work, um, as I should be. Grudge is like the big kind of uh, horror film, uh, Japanese horror film that I haven't seen. 
And that that's kind of a, a horrible thing to say. But I mean, I've seen the Ring movies, Dark uh, Water, Pauls. I watched a lot of them, and I'm more into like kind of the crazy zombie movies and the weird stuff, like some of the Pinky films. But uh, it was kind of intimidating to start with the Grudge films because there's the two short ones before the the, the big ones, so Juan, all sorts of things going on. But I really enjoyed Reincarnation, so I was very interested in checking out the Howling, Howling Village. And this is a, a crazy film. It's a it's a sprawling kind of movie about like it. It immediately reminded me of. Of, remember guys this is early in the week brain fog con con uh, con convention like fog too um this i watched this early in the the week but uh the first initial thoughts were i feel like this is kind of like um john carpenter's the fog uh, the kind of setup and elements but it's not as obvious what's going on it's kind of a, a mystery to it and a lot of these kind of ghost stories or horror curse movies always have a great mystery to them i will immediately always go back to no roy the curse which i feel has a wonderful mystery and of course ringu or yeah or ring as you know the Japanese ring. Some people argue Ringu, some people are. I'm not going to get into it. I don't know. I don't really care. But Holling Village, here we go. So uh, we have this, This it opens up with kind of like this found footage kind of documentary kind of thing. There's a young couple kind of going to this so-called Holling Village, which is supposedly lost. Uh, people cannot really seem to find it. But for some reason, these two have found it and they're filming it. And they have this kind of supernatural encounter. Afterwards, they come back and the young girl is just really distraught and not right. She's completely messed up and she, she commits suicide in a real awful way. During the funeral, um, there's obviously some resentment and there's some secrets going about the town. Um, and when it comes to the autopsy, they find water in her lungs. So, so what we find out, we kind of realize that there's some sort of devious thing that happened to this Howling Village. It's mysterious, and there's going to be some sort of genetic kind of thing going on here, in family lineage, which I always kind of find frightening, and I always think Lovecraftian in a way. Although this leans more towards ghost story kind of thing instead of the Lovecraftian evolutionary weird nasty genetic like genetic DNA shit that people would catch in those movies like oh you your great great grandmother was a was a rat woman or some shit and you're part rat and that's why your family is crazy now it's not so much that but it kind of is that in a certain way it actually kind of is that a little bit more than you would think but it has the ghost element and the uh, wrong people being wronged so you find out what this Howling Village was and why they're kind of uh, out for the revenge and everything like that and it's really done well the ending gets really kind of too crazy where we start to get kind of these like lapses in time and going back and fixing things and we we incorporate that kind of genetic weirdness about it which i do like and i, I find kind of almost too much for the, the, the story but all in all i found this movie really effective and great and i thought the first you know three-fourths were amazing and the last part worked well too and it does have a kind of an emotional uh core to it where you are you know you're actually kind of feeling Feeling for these characters and everything like that. As as far as, uh, as as gore and stuff, it's not really that kind of movie. But there was one moment in this movie where I literally. Um, I know people hate when I say that word, right? Yeah, that's a, that's an inside joke. But uh, I literally was like, oh, wow. It was really it was a very effective scene where these people had been somewhat waterlogged because the village involved water. I don't want to give too much away. But a character had been kind of drowned, and their, their flesh is soggy. And they, they are leaning against something, and they kind of go down this phone booth, and it rips off their cheek. And it was perfect. And I, I jumped back. I was like, oh, I shouldn't have spoiled that, really, in hindsight. But it was just such an amazing scene. Anyways, I enjoyed this one. It was a pretty cool watch. I think this technically counts as a 2021 for us in the States. But Howling Village, uh, a good one. I would rewatch it, and I would be curious to see what other people think about it. Uh, yeah.
Okay, the next one here is also a Dread Central Epic Pictures release, a uh, newer film from, I believe it counts as 2021, and this is Queen of Spades. Uh, yeah, so I know this year we're having this kind of semi-sequel to Candyman come out, and that's kind of like that mysterious kind of stare into the mirror Bloody Mary type story in Candyman, that urban kind of folklore stuff that's kind of terrifying. I mean, Bloody Mary's probably more just folklore kind of stuff like that, so... Um, Anyways, the Queen uh, Queen of Spades is kind of in that vein, or, or trying to do that on a, on a lower budget, more independent level, I guess I would say. So um, there's a group of kids, this film opens up with a group of kids kind of hanging out. I believe it, it appears to be like an abandoned school or building of some sort, and this young man um, is, is kind of wandering on top of it, and they're kind of baffled by what's happening, and he ends up jumping off the building and attempting to commit suicide. His dying words, he mentions the Queen of Spades, and after that, they seem to be followed by this old kind of Russian uh, horror character called the Queen of Spades that uh, they, they're trying to figure a way to stop them, and their friends start getting picked off here and there. So it's kind of like a supernatural slasher element. Um, I, I do have some, uh, some complaints about this movie, movie uh it, it doesn't it, it does seem a little tedious it seems a little repetitive at times um i like the idea of setting up the kind of weird mysterious kind of russian kind of folklore monster killer or whatever i think that's a cool idea i think that kind of opens the eyes on different countries kind of creatures and stuff i'm always for that i'm always kind of interested in exploring that but some of the stuff just doesn't really work well with me and i feel like the movie relies too much on like uh the end of a scene immediately cutting to an exterior at one point a lot of this movie takes place in an apartment building and there's about and like a 10 minute scene i feel like i saw the exterior cut to outside of this apartment building like five or six times and to me that says hey we didn't have a good transition scene or hey we didn't have enough footage or hey we didn't really know how to end this scene now i'm assuming a lot of things and that could be not the director or the filmmaker's intent or there could have been some budgetary constraints which i definitely think is probably the case here i mean it is what it is but like i said there is some interesting elements as far as like the queen uh queen of spades herself and um they bring in this kind of russian character who had had actually faced off against them and stuff and there's a lot of like internet chat and stuff this one didn't do too much for me I, I felt it was just a little kind of blah like not not like negatively horrible or anything just kind of like right down the center and just kind of like a solid horror film but in a way, though, it would be approachable for um, people that aren't too, you know, it's like it's kind of an approachable horror film for many people. Lots of different people could watch this and, and not necessarily be offended by its, its stuff in here or anything like that. So I think, like, this could fit in more of a family category horror movie. I don't think it's anything horrifically graphic or anything. They, uh, the, the Queen of Spades herself looked pretty good. They do show her. But at uh, all in all, this one just really didn't do much for me. Like Some of the ideas were good, as, but as it progressed, I just kind of lost interest in it. And it, it did kind of feel like it belonged maybe in like the Scream era kind of horror films from like post-1996 into like that era, you know, up until like 2003. And if you guys understand what I'm saying here, there is some special features on here which I, which I should mention there's a commentary and some deleted scenes and some cast auditions which could be interesting so that is uh, Queen of Spades okay the final one I'm going to cover from Dread Central today is La Casa and I think this is a Chilean movie uh, another South American horror film and uh, this one is kind of interesting this one is kind of done and seemingly it feels like one take it obviously is not one take and it does break that kind of mold certain times um it kind of puts you in this place like a point of view where you're kind of following this officer around on a night of kind of like a really terrifying police call. Um, 
you definitely it opens up saying kind of like this this element of this certain turmoil in the country which a lot of these south american horror films definitely let like they always open up with these kind of narratives of where they let you know that during the time this was made or what this is based on there's a lot of turmoil in the country and this kind of is a reflection of that or a story that happened within that and i can appreciate that because uh when you watch a lot of these movies from America, wherever you're from, you kind of generally know what the hell's going on in, in a certain climate. But in, in a lot of other countries, it's hard to remember all the conflicts and horrible things that have been going on in your own country, let alone these other countries. So you always kind of feel that in a lot of these places that there has been this kind of horrible thing. So it's during like a... Um, it's during like a shutdown, basically like a curfew has been instated. There's a lot of crime, so nobody's allowed out past a certain time. And this police officer, you see this opening, he's on the phone and he seems very desperate and just distraught. Um, and he gets this call where he has to go to this house. There's somebody been outside kind of wandering and he calls back his dispatch and he says, it's my wife. And they're like, what's going on? We don't want any kind of problems. We don't want a scandal. So he ends up going into the house. And uh, from then on out, he sees a lot of horrific imagery, a lot of spooky things happen. And like the whole time we're kind of following him. It's definitely like a follow thing. You don't see many wides or anything. A lot of it feels very close, very personal. Like I said, very much in like a one but found footage style, but it's not a found footage if that makes any sense in general. So of course he gets injured and he can't get help and he's isolated and it gets worse and worse until we finally come to this reveal. And it has this big statement and it has a lot of messages and everything like that. And I thought this one was uh, pretty decent, pretty interesting, and uh, kind of just a, a, a lot of scares uh, made on a, on, a, on a low budget. Some of the lighting is really cool. Um, I enjoyed uh, seeing some of the lighting here. There's lots of, you know, like creepy lighting, especially on the house on the outside. And I imagine that was all done on a budget. The house exterior stuff looks creepy, uh, pretty effective stuff. Um, yeah, I thought this one was uh, fairly well done. And like you watch the behind the scenes and they kind of went all out on a lot of the things they did here, which I was happy with. Um, I keep grabbing out the wrong movie. I'm trying to find the special features here because they had like an elaborate like making of, which took over a few days, making up featurette, an interview, and then some deleted scenes. I generally remember kind of they went through like the making of and they're showing behind the scenes and you see a lot of the setups and everything and then they try to like do this weird wraparound thing at the very end where they try to incorporate that this building that they used the uh, kind of things happen within it but that seems like part of the film as well and everything like it opens with this all kind of news news kind of footage and then it closes in this kind of like try to frame it as a hundred percent what you're what with you know the real story within the story and stuff like that within the movie um but yeah um the, the movie's interesting enough and decent. Um, again, this is one that, uh, as far as uh, as the genre is concerned, like the subgenre within the horror film, it's not my go-to uh, subgenre, you know, the kind of spooky haunted house stuff. But um, I can appreciate a decently uh, well-made one, and I would say this one is that. That's La Casa. Not to be confused with the... Um, the million Italian uh, movies called La Casa, starting with Evil Dead, renamed La Casa, and then Evil Dead 2, named La Casa, and then like House, named La Casa 3, and so forth and so on, witchery nonsense. This is not one of those La Casas. Or maybe it's La Casa 37. We'll have to ask somebody who owns the rights to the original La Casas in Italy. Okay, the next one is from On Earth and Plot Digger Films. And this is another Ryan Nicholson movie, R.I.P. This is Star Vehicle, a.k.a. Bleeding Lady, and it stars Dan Ellis. Yeah, Dan Ellis was kind of a... I feel like he had to be uh, Ryan Nicholson's lucky charm. I feel like he was the best actor he used on a consistent basis. He was in stuff like... Um, Gutter Balls, of course. He was the janitor, kind of the barkeep at the... at the, the 
the bowling alley, and um, he was also in, geez, uh, what's the, um, just Hanger. He was Hanger. He played Hanger's father, and he is in uh, Bleeding Lady, or Star Vehicle. And it had been since this movie, I hadn't seen this one since it initially came out, so it's early 2000s, maybe 2010, 2011. I, I'm not 100%. I tried. I, I cannot remember. It's been so long. And like I said, with um, a lot of his films, uh, Hanger and stuff, they were made in like such a different time for independent films, where more extremity and nudity and and almost that on pc quality was highly welcomed within so um and some people probably still enjoy that although they're because you know they probably see them just just films just movies um so so rewatching a uh, star vehicle i, I kind of felt really really mixed about the film in general i know it's made on a on a very low budget but all in all the film just felt like it wasn't 100 percent completed it felt like there was some missing aspects about it that just never came to fruition. So Dan Ellis, uh, as far as indie films is concerned, is, is really one of the better actors. I always thought he was very intriguing and delivered a lot of the lines that are otherwise ridiculously over the top and very downright hateful um, in this film. And made them um, not not pleasant, but um, made himself a character that was worth watching, if that makes any sense. So he also pops up in Marcus Cook's Bloodshock, and he's he's pretty great in that um, dedicated role for sure. So um, Dan Ellis, he's the main character in here. He plays uh, what is his name? He's an Italian name. I can't think of it. Don Don um, something Don, and he's the driver for this kind of independent movies. He drives this is his job, you know, union job. He drives uh, the actors from sets, set location here and there, and uh, one day he finds out that he'll be driving Reversa Red who is this infamous Scream Queen. She's pretty much his favorite Scream Queen, a modern Scream Queen and she has a stalker so she wasn't on the call sheet so Don immediately gets overprotective of her because he's a huge fan. He starts, to, he knows all the details about her and her career and everything like that. Meanwhile there is kind of a young buck director who is just making a schlocky slasher film but he thinks he's making the next Blair Witch as Don would say or something very clever when you know it's old hat. And I think that's probably Ryan Nicholson making some statements about that. Maybe even saying some stuff that people said to him, da 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 Because it, it's obviously Ryan Nicholson also making a comment on independent filmmaking himself. So there's a lot of stuff going on in that aspect. Um, so, so we have that kind of development right off the bat. And we have that stalker element too. Um, there's also kind of like a guy who guards the lodge and this character is such a bizarre character and throughout the entire movie you don't understand his motivations and you're just kind of baffled at everything he does until the very end where things start to come together and you go shit that that made me actually appreciate the movie a little bit more because I, I didn't remember every twist and turn it like I said it had been since it came out and uh, like I said I, I my brain is fried at this point watching so many movies but um, at the very end reveal I said shit you know I'm gonna have to give this uh, I'm gonna have to bump this up a little bit because because that, that adds a great element to it, to be honest. It, it just makes the things actually make a lot more sense than... Because otherwise, this made no sense whatsoever. Uh, again, that doesn't change the fact that a lot of Ryan Nicholson's characters are cartoons. And they're just over the top. Um, there's a lot of kind of miserable dialogue. Uh, and just uh, humor that is just so outdated. And you're just like, even if... like I mean, some people will be offended. But I'm not going to get offended. I'm just going to be like, that's just not funny anymore. That just Maybe that was never funny. Probably never funny. Um, so it's the humor is very subjective. As far as the special effects are concerned, there's a lot of post stuff, a lot of blood flying up, and a lot of uh, effects of people being murdered afterwards, but you don't ever see that much in 
initial uh, carnage. But it, but the blood does fly, and there is some you know after effects of battered faces and and bruised eyes and stuff like that, and some nasty gore here and there. Um, I like I said, uh, Dan Ellis is the driving force of the film. There is you know some nudity here and there, and it is kind of funny watching him kind of make a, a Friday Thirteenth style like movie on the set with like the red herring uh, crazy Ralph character in here. So there's all that kind of stuff going on. Um, I don't think that uh, the whole idea of Don wanting to take over and make his own film, you know, his film with the, and take over and have this dedication and, and make like something for Reverse of Red really necessarily works uh, in the beginning. You never get the idea that that's where he's really dedicated to go until it actually starts happening. But you get a little bit. I just wish there was more of it. Um, he does say a great line, which I love at the very end. Nothing like getting on top like, and I won't spoil it, but I was like, well, that makes a little bit more sense why this happened as well. Um, anyways, I think it's a, it's a decent Ryan Nicholson movie, right? Uh, I know people love Ryan Nicholson or they hate him. So if you're not a fan of him, avoid this one. But if you are a big fan of Ryan Nicholson and you haven't seen it, then I would say check this one out. You could do much worse. I, um, I, I put it kind of in the middle. I think it's much better than Famine or Collar. But I don't think it ever reaches the heights of Hanger or Gutterballs. Um, maybe a little less than Live Feed. I think Live Feed's a little bit better. Um, and I haven't watched... Uh, I remember... What was the, the Rape Revenge he did that was his first film, Torched? Um, I have not seen that in years either. But uh, this one does. Um, if you're interested, it also includes the feature film... Um, where is it here? Dead Nude Girls, which I have watched years ago. And I started rewatching it to get to remember, refresh my, refresh my memory. And this one is just kind of, it's a weird kind of, almost like a roughie in, in a lot of ways. No, no actual sex, but it follows Ryan Nicholson in a comical question mark or deranged comical question mark character who's just a, a woman killer who likes to kidnap women and strip them and then kind of uh, play with their n passed out naked bodies, nude bodies, dead bodies dead nude girls and then kind of molest them and make them touch each other um there's all sorts of kind of nonsense going on not really any special effects in it made very much on the down low um it does seem kind of more like a fetish film or something on those lines um but you know how these on earth uh discs are doing it this thing is loaded with features there's like if you took the time to watch all these features you would not watch anything else that entire week but there's commentary with director ryan nicholson and lead actor dan ellis left coast tv presents on set of star vehicle behind the wheel of bleeding lady making of star vehicle makeup students act students deleted scenes alternative opening splatterfest at the plaza theater dead nude girls photo gallery and trailer and there's actually supposed to be a sequel to dead nude girls which i don't think i ever did watch so uh on earth is uh getting pretty close to putting out his entire catalog we have what gutter balls live feed um hangar um star vehicle and uh did they put out torch too i think so so we're looking at uh maybe eventually getting gutter balls too big fucking monster maybe more nude girls and um uh, i think is that all of them? Am I missing something? Collar. Collar's probably getting a release again as well. So yeah, uh, I will always say it every time I bring up one of his movies, R.I.P. Um, he was a very nice guy. And I know that towards the end, like somebody said, he was very rude. I remember this whole big stink about him not getting the perks out and everything like that. And I remember that it was really sad. It kind of is just kind of bummed everybody out and everything like that. But um, I just... Uh, I hope his family's doing as well as they can under the terrible circumstances, but I appreciate that he was part of the indie movie scene and he was uh, welcoming of all the fans um, and everything like that. And made a lot of crazy movies and Gutterballs, the first time I saw Gutterballs, man, just blew me the fuck away. I just never had seen anything like that. Just was very shocked at how insane it was and everything like that on the indie level. So yeah.
Okay, the next one here is from IFC Films, and this is IFC Midnight, so get that right. This is uh, Witching and Bitching by Alex D. La Inglesia, and this came out in 2003, and I have not watched it. I'm at 2013, sorry about that. I have not, no, I have not watched it since 2013. Um, Alex D. La Inglesia is, is a fairly infamous director as far as you know, cult film fans are concerned. He did stuff like Day of the Beast, Action Mutante, um, Perdita Durango, uh, The Last Circus, he is just a really, really very um, good director. I mean, like all his films are at least very good. I've never seen him do a bad job. And Witching and Bitching to me is no different. Um, so the first time I watched this, I was, I was, I don't know, I, I liked it, but I didn't really love it. This time around, I, I liked it quite a bit more. Um, this is more of a dark comedy, and it has like this supernatural kind of fun uh, element, uh, witches and everything in here. And the movie, I feel like, plays as like a battle of sexes comedy, but at times, some people would definitely read it as misogynistic. I actually, um, I was part of the summer series this year, and I had heard um, one of the hosts on there had seen a screening of it, and um, Alex D. Langlacy said, got up there and started talking about the movie and he said his ta him talking about it even made the misogyny in the movie seem worse I don't know I, I, I mean I love his movies and I've heard interviews with them I never had it come across like that but I've also never heard him talk about witching and bitching and on surface level witching and bitching has a lot of this kind of uh, women are evil women are monster kind of mentality in here and the men are, are the victims and everything like that even though most of them are criminals in here so it's it's definitely a comedy in that aspect where these guys and everything like that big bad criminals but they're terrified of their wives and they say they're they're blaming their wives and their women and their lives are you know treating them in this kind of fashion so the movie opens up with this kind of elaborate kind of heist uh, thing in the very beginning where they're stealing all these wedding rings uh, which is bad karma in the first place right but they're all dressed up as mascots in this kind of way they're doing it from hunch up they're all dressed up as mascots because they're in this like big town square so they can kind of sneak in and the lead guy is dressed as like gold jesus and then we have the army guy and then we have there's a spongebob running around and all sorts of stuff and uh an invisible man which is obviously you know uh alex d Linglacia obviously loves classic horror films and everything like that so we have this elaborate kind of uh shootout and everything and they get away they take this taxi cab driver as hostage and his and the guy who's with them and throw him in the trunk and they end up trying to get to france um did I mention that the lead guy had brought his son along because it was his, his day for custody or whatever so his son was involved with the robbery so his uh wife is after him and his wife is played by the lovely actress in Shrewsness. she's fantastic in that movie she's also in Dagon and she was in Black Gloves she's a very good actress uh, something Gomez I believe is her name but I, I was happy to see her I forgot she was in this film so uh, they end up she's after him there's a pair of police detectives that are after her to follow her because they think she's in on it and of course they have to go through this small little abandoned town that has a bad bad reputation um, it's actually ran by witches so they have to go through this town to get to France, I believe, to get to safety. Of course, uh, they fit into this kind of weird, um, you know, this whole kind of, uh, what would I say, uh, you know, prophesization or whatever that they're going to fit into this and bring forth like the ultimate witch and everything like that. So they need the young kid. They need the, um, they need all the, the people partaking in it. Of course, things get complicated when the young witch kind of has a thing for the Jesus guy. And uh, it gets very comical. It's very fun. There's lots of dark humor involving the poor guy who's in the back, kidnapped, getting beat up and everything. And there's a really brilliant scene where I laughed out loud hysterically where um, there's during the bank robbery and 
the um, the robbers start arguing amongst each other, and the wife's brought up, and they say, well, you know, and he brings up the son, it's my day, and I, the wife's always get custody, and then this old guy jumps up, he's like, that's true, they never take the wife's side, and he starts, like, complaining in here, and, like, I feel like this is just, like, part of the society, everything, and everybody's like, shut, he's like, shut up, shut up, but this guy, it was just very funny, and just kind of this idea that this world is not, you know, the, the natural world, this is an Alex D. Glacier world, but anyways, it has a lot of fun stuff, and a lot of over-the-top craziness and there's there's some really fun review funny things that happen later on um man i want to say some of the jokes in here but it's complete spoiler territory and everything like that so uh just for 35 seconds or something go ahead and say spoilers but uh there, there's a um a part of this movie where a character comes out to another character and the other character is like you're putting me in my own comfort zone and later on he brings it up he's like what i said earlier and he's like forget it i thought it was nice <laughs> like he just it's, it's just cracks up forget it i thought it was very sweet and this the way he delivers that i think that's very funny um I just like how he makes characters and everything. I know that some people may have some problems with it, but I see it as a comedy. And, it, you know, comedy can be very inappropriate at times. It can say things that are just, you know, not necessarily uh, accurate, but there's just some tiny truth in it that's funny, okay? Um, I don't think that he's, <laughs> he wants to, <laughs> believes everything in the movie, okay? But it's just a little maybe feeling he had that he put forth and 110% into the movie. Anyways, uh, yeah, the witches are great too. And uh, there's a, great scene with a bunch of different witches and their small talk is beautiful it's just a really fun movie the dinner table scene is great stuff anyways witching and bitching uh finally on blu-ray from ifc midnight check it out you do yourself a favor if you like his other films and this one is one if you saw in 2013 and you were iffy on it revisit it i think it'll you'll appreciate it a little bit more if, if you're kind of like me and, and you know this movie does remind me a little bit of the the doghouse, right? The doghouse one, the zombie British one, was it made by Jake West? I, I feel like that is kind of like this in a little bit of ways too. So yeah, Witch and Ambition. Witch and Ambition, I think, is a bigger, better film though, honestly. Okay, next up is a Vinegar Syndrome title, and I felt, you know, just because I kept saying this, uh, the accidental director mixing them up and everything, like I kept mixing up Juan Pierre Simon and Jose Larraz with this movie, even though I know it's Simone, Juan Pierre, Juan Pierre Simon, or Simone, sorry about that, my pronunciation skills is going to cause more problems, but uh, anyways, yeah, Cthulhu Mansion, or Cthulhu Mansion, for those pronunciation people out there, I know it's pronounced Cthulhu by many people so yeah this was the one that i'd never seen i wanted to give it a spin uh yeah so i've always seen the cover i always saw the vhs cover just sitting there and it's a vinegar syndrome release i was like we're getting around halloween it looks like a fun halloween watch so so i popped this in and in the vein of pieces and the riff and slugs i was like yeah this is definitely the same director although it's not as fun as those movies um so basically we have this kind of magician that had a tragic accident where somebody passed away his wife died in this accident and now he continues to do his magic um but his uh daughter uh, is now his new uh you know kind of you know lady who gets in the box and all that kind of stuff i don't know what you would call the helper of a magician but because he already has another helper who's this strong silent type guy so he's got two freaking helpers all right anyways uh he lives in a mansion with those two and whatnot and he seems to be hiding this dark kind of secret of, of whatnot so uh meanwhile there's also this group of kind of like petty criminals uh, that had uh, tried to carry off this crime and something happened and they ended up beating up and hurting a lot of security guards possibly killing some there's a really hilarious scene where they're soft kicking this security guard in the back and he is just it's, he's overselling it like he's selling it to the cheap cheap seats in the back and he's just like oh, oh, oh. and i was just like 
that is the worst I've seen since I saw Lawrence Tierney get knocked out in midnight. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, anyways, it just kind of was nonsense, but it made me laugh hysterically. So, anyways, they, of course, are going to run into the magician, leaving his kind of this circus area, and they take him kidnapped to him and his, his daughter and this other guy, and they're in the mansion. They're in the Cthulhu mansion. So you kind of think, well, how's Lovecraft fit into this? And, of course, there's a hidden book within the house that somehow has all these weird Lovecraftian evils in it. Um, this is the most un-Lovecraftian movie that used any Lovecraftian uh, titles in it, to be honest. So um, we kind of have like a mysterious kind of like spooky stuff's going on. You know, one of the guys is turning in and out of a demon. There's some monster arms that come out of the fridge. The atmosphere is fairly thick and effective. It's kind of like the acting. I don't know if it's ADR'd or not. Um, I hope for their performance's sake. Not everybody, not everybody. It is ADR'd because some of it comes across really bad. Like I couldn't believe some of it. It's like, what are we doing? I'm just like, what is this? Like, I mean, like Jerry Seinfeld when he's being a like, what's going on? Like, it's like that, but times ten. She's like, why? And like, literally, Jeremy was in the next room and he heard it. I was like, are you hearing this? He's like, yeah. It sounds pretty rough out there, but uh, it is comical. It comes across comical. I mean, it's nothing along the lines of the over topness of uh, Linda Day George and pieces, bastards. It's not that bad, but um, I. <laughs> The acting's ridiculous. But like I said, the atmosphere, the smoke, you know, the kind of, the big gates and everything. I like seeing that. Um, there's a couple um, kills in here that are all right. For the most part, I, I came right down the middle. It's kind of just a dollar, a doll film. It's just kind of all around dull and not amazing. But the the last piece does kind of pick up a bit and we see the book and there's some fun things, but it's not exactly the greatest thing I've ever seen from uh, Simone. I think this is his weakest out of the four, the other three I've seen. Um, I know he did an E.T. one too, which I've not seen. But on the disc, there's uh, um, Simone's Jigsaw, A Trip to the Universe of Juan Piquet's Simone, a Spanish feature-length documentary tribute on the life and work of the director featuring many of the collaborators. <laughs> there we go. Many of the collaborators he worked with over the years, including directors Carlos Perto, actor Jack Taylor, actress Hilda Fuchs, the director of photography Juan Marine, FX artist Colin Arthur, and many more. And we also have the special effects makeup magician, an interview with FX artist Colin Arthur. So we, uh, I did not get a chance to watch that, and I'm going to be brutally honest, I feel like that's the more interesting piece on the disc. So I should apologize for that, but I just kind of wanted to watch something that I feel like would have an October kind of spooky element to it. So I popped in Cthulhu Mansion for some fun, or Cthulhu Mansion, I'll be pronounce it um yeah and uh the print looks great i was just watching i was like this looks so amazing but this is such a turd of a movie but i still run down the middle right down the middle average enjoyable for what it is um i would probably have a little bit more fondness if it was one i rented and watched i mean i had a vhs sitting on my shelf for 15 years i should have just eventually watched it uh, i'm trying to find it there it is cthulhu mansion i know that doesn't do you guys any favors but uh just know that i saw it on the shelf and be excited for me all right I really feel like putting something in here from now on, like a, a pervert card alert, like, eh, 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 like a pervert. I just want to put like a little emergency thing here. It's like, it's all right. It's all right. I have my pervert card. I want to do a skit. I eventually will, but you're going to need it for this next movie. And I don't want to say that the movie is just purely perversity, right? But it's a Hiyasuyasu, Hisayasu Sato film. I always have trouble pronouncing his first name. It's a lot of S's in there. Uh, Hisayasu Sato. Um, you guys know him from Lolita Vibrator Torture and, of course, um, 
Naked Blood, um, Celluloid Nightmares. He's done a slew. Um, Sweet Honey Juice. Um, he's got some Turtle Vision. He's got some crazy ass movies. And this one is Hunter's. Uh, what is it? Hunter's Sense of Touch. I want to double check because it's got Hunter's Sense of Touch. I always want to double check because these movies always have three or four alternate titles. Uh, yeah, he's done a couple of these kind of. Um, he does pinky films, but they're not necessarily, you know, straightforward pinky films. They always have, like, this element within them about maybe technology or, like, strange things like that, which I always find kind of uh, really interesting. And he dabbles in more of, the, like, the straight-oriented ones with, like, a lot of female nudity and, like, exploitation. But he also dives into, like, the male ones, which is very strange because I, I've only seen, like, a couple of the male pinky films. And uh, they're really kind of, uh, like, sleazy and exploitative too like i was surprised how sleazy this got but at the same time it had such a really interesting captivating story right um so this feels i know some people said feels like film noir and i can see that for sure because we have the private eye of course but it felt kind of in a way like it dived into that cruising territory and it kind of almost focused on that element of catching you know how some people think that in cruising there's multiple killers and that it's somehow passed on like the almost like a, I don't want to sound negative here or, or like I'm being hateful or anything, but like a, like an HIV, like the, the killing is passed on through killer to killer to killer and stuff like that. Almost weird kind of sense of longing and the cruising itself causes the, you know, the, you know, it's just, I don't know. I always felt that idea that look at cruising is just like an interesting aspect about it. And I think that this is kind of the take on it. The movie's made in 95. So well after cruising. Um, so we have this, this private eye, this homosexual private eye, who was once almost on the police force, but he was pro he was off for misconduct, probably because he was a homosexual in some aspects and had a uh, had an affair or something. You kind of get that that get the idea of that because there's a police detective who kind of visits him and asks him about information because there's a, a homosexual serial killer going around and he's maybe homosexual, but he's been killing uh, homosexual men who are into the bondage scene and he's been removing their uh, genitalia. So he kind of goes into he asks him as the private eye says so a snake. Uh, can find a snake, right? Is that why you're asking me? Because um, he, he knows. Um, but at the same time, this private eye has an infatuation with a former lover, and that's all he can think about. And at times, he kind of goes and has a lot of like sex with other men because it's just, I, I guess, it's that longing, that looking for that character. So he is also hired by the wife of his person he was infatuated with, so it gets more complicated. Uh, and he is this doctor. He, the, the guy he's looking for is a doctor. And he has to look. I feel like I spoiled a little bit there, possibly. But the movie's so interesting and crazy that um, I'm not sure the reveal of who the husband is, is is necessarily directly done in that moment. But you find out fairly quick, and it's such a short film. I'm kind of, and I feel like it's so hard to find that maybe a little bit of spoiling is is not necessarily too evil. So he's hired to find this guy who has become a doctor and had a married life and everything with this woman. And, of course, he, he's infatuated with the whole situation. He kind of starts to get involved with this guy who claims himself to be a mind reader. And they have a relationship. There's explicit sex in here as well. But it's Japanese, so there's no actual showing of, like, genitalia or penetration. But they're pretty graphic sex scenes, to be honest. I was like, oh, wow. Um, I was surprised they were that graphic. And, I, like, you know, so... And, like, all his movies do that to me. Low lead of vibrator torture, the murders and that. Like, the sexual kind of murders. I was like, oh, that's more graphic than expected. Um, so, and, and as it goes on, like, it starts to get even crazier where the, the guy he's having that relationship is involved with the other guy. And uh, they're, they're obviously, their paths are going to cross. And somebody's murdering these homosexual men. 
and um, it's pointing to one of the one of the big players in the film, right? Um, possibly the private eye himself, possibly the person he's infatuated with, possibly the mind reader. But afterwards, the mind reader claims that whoever he has sex with also gets this mind reading kind of thing. So that plays into it. And it gets really crazy and brings up these strange ideas. And I just found it very fat, uh, very fascinating and interesting and just sleazy. I, I become this sleazy person where I'm like, I, I, you know, I need some sleazy, crazy stuff that's going to be like, oh, take shock me, but then also pull me in with the story, right? Um, to get your message across, you got to hit him over the head with it, right? Uh, as Cannibal Holocaust says. But I thought this was a really good one from Sato and interesting and, and weird. And uh, I, I'm going to try to eventually watch all his movies if I can. I know he's done upwards of 60 films, but uh, only I could uh, only like 40 or so, 42 are available anywhere. and includes a line and bootleg form, buying them anywhere. And there's not been very many releases in the States, just three with Naked Blood, uh, Bedroom Eyes, and Lolita Vibrator Torture, and maybe Hannah, Hannah B. or Hannah Bai from Allo Films, so we've only had like four of his releases, so if any of them get releases, I'm pleading to somebody to put his movies out legit. I mean, I imagine that some of the elements are just SOV or whatever dirt cheap digital they were using back in the day, but it would be pretty cool to see some of them. Um, I don't know how the rights are anywhere, but anyways, if this sounds like it's interesting to you, maybe I'll try to incorporate some clips that are less explicit, I mean, but what's the point that, right? Uh, anyways, just really dug this one. Really good stuff. Um, it's it's well well done too, well shot and everything for a low budget film. Okay, now we have the Patreon pick, and uh, I, I think it was uh, Nick Moo who picked this one, and he picked The Hills Run Red with um, Dave Parker. And uh, geez, when was this made? Like I'm so old. I remember reviewing this movie when it came out. This is 2009. I think I covered it for. Um, I probably covered it for the DVD fiends. Remember the DVD fiends? Anybody that remembers the DVD fiends? You get you get Mr. Parker points or Mr. Parker dollars. They are um, spendable nowhere. So, anyways, um, the hills run red. Dave Parker shares my name, right? Um, funny story is when I was like 12 or 13, when we got AOL dial-up or whatever the hell, I searched film directors horror movie directors and his name popped up and i immediately was like hi i like movies too <laughs> and uh, not knowing anything being 12 or 13 and you know what i uh, annoyed the hell out of him and he was very nice very very nice guy instead of just I, eventually he was like i'm, I'm very busy man i'm sorry because I, I mean there's some people you get messages from that just want to correspond and they're just bothering you all the time and you I'm, I'm not trying to be rude but sometimes you're busy you'll talk if you have time but but anyways, he was very nice. It was very. I, I apologize for that. I was only twelve or thirteen, but I was always asking about tons of movies. The same with Marcus Cook. Um, he popped up, and I always would ask him about movies. And we actually used to trade movies back in the day. Marcus Cook would send movies to thirteen-year-old kids. Sorry, this is kind of a, a diatribe or anything. I'm not kidding, Marcus. But it, we were just trading like bad taste stuff like that. It was fun. But anyways, um, uh, we have uh, The Hills Run Red uh, from 2009. And I saw this like right when the DVD hit. I got it early. I reviewed it and everything. So, yeah, Dave Parker had also done, um, I know he did a couple Full Moon. He worked for Full Moon. He did one of those uh, kind of like bikini movies or bimbo bikini bash or something like that. But he did The Dead Hate the Living uh, for Full Moon, which was, uh, I remember liking that when it came out in what, I feel like that had to be late 90s, 98. Maybe it was uh, after that. But I had not watched that in years. Um, anyways but i know i had one of the guy 
place. Uh, Matt McGordy, who is in the House uh, House of a Thousand Corpses and um, Devil's Rejects, was in it. So, uh, The Hills Run Red. Okay, so this one is interesting. Like, the story, the concept is great. So, I'll give it that. I really like the concept and the idea of it. Um, William Sadler's in it, and it's hard to beat William Sadler. He's a very good character actor, of course, from Demon Knight, Bill and Ted's Excellent Journey, the first episode of Tales in the Crypt that ever aired, The Man Who, who Was Death. Um, also, tons of stuff. Well, I know I'm missing a bunch of stuff anyways, but he's just a tremendous, really good actor. Trespass with uh, Bill Paxton and the Walter Hill film. He's good in that. So, yeah. Uh, what we have here is this kind of crazy film fan, and he is obsessed with finding this lost film, The Hills Run Red. It was, uh, what, was it was in the 70s, kind of an exploitation horse slasher, really nasty. Maybe it was the 80s, probably, probably more 80s. He's really obsessed with finding it. So he tracks down the daughter of the director who, you know, kind of went missing. The film only played in a couple theaters or whatever and then kind of just went to obscurity. So he um, is not the first one to try to do this, but he tracks down the daughter in a strip joint. And um, he actually goes to the point of actually almost kidnap. He kidnaps her and tries to get her sober. Meanwhile, his his like fiance is not happy with him doing this, and the friend is kind of really uh, iffy about it. But of course, they start kind of a relationship on secret on the down low. Something happens and that complicates things. But overall, the four of them end up trying to go into the woods to locate the film reels and everything like that. Uh, they know that it's kind of one of those deals where you go in there looking for something, you're definitely going to find something awful. Um, um, the actual footage of like the movie, like the cool stuff, like the trailer that was released of the blood flying down the hill was very cool. Um, and there's this really funny moment where they like inter interview these like kind of stereotypical hillbillies from these kind of movies. But one of the characters, they ask him, he's like, I saw that movie in theaters. And he keeps talking. He's like, I had a nice car. Keeps talking about his car. I was like, that's so legit. Like the old guys like that, all they want to talk about is the car. But uh, there's a certain charm to that because that's where they kind of like remember that all the details in the car and everything thing like that. Uh, that's just how they are. Um, just finding a very kind of funny scene like that. Um, so, I, and that's probably, like, I, I kind of like those characters because I was like, oh, we have some, I like I said, not seen this since 2009. We have some, like, these hillbillies that aren't, they are stereotypical, but they're not, like, we're going to rape them. But they kind of screw that up later. But there's kind of a reason for it, if that makes any sense. Like, a couple of, the, this is, like, one of those movies, too, where, like, Star Vehicle is like, why does this have, this doesn't make any sense. And then they kind of try up, they tie up some movie. You're like, oh, all right, I'll go forgive that a little bit. So you kind of do that here, too, where I'm like, well, oh, okay, duh, I remember that aspect i forgot that little detail but uh, as, as they go out they realize that of course william sadler the director is still out there and guess what he's still making the hills run red it's been an ongoing project that's never been finished and they don't just uh make uh movies with special effects they make movies with real kills so that's kind of the element here so uh we got this idea of this like uh, lots of crazy stuff starts to happen without spoiling too much and there's some twist and there's some gore um the gore is good the gore is really strong uh the special effects and stuff like that and uh, they work well for the budget and everything like that. The, I remember this being particularly gory and violent. Um, and the ending, you know, I think the ending's kind of cool as well. My, my complaint is I don't really like the main character at all, and I don't think you're necessarily supposed to. I just, I don't really like any of the main character's performances, any of them. I don't think that they come across as genuinely real horror fans or characters or something like that. And that might just be because I'm such a horror fan that when I see somebody else try to portray a horror fan, it might not be the writing or anything like that. It might just be that the people actually portraying it don't know shit about horror movies or don't have the enthusiasm for the subject that they're portraying or it could be a mixture of just not translating or something was cut i don't know anyways at the end of the day i just never felt like they were genuine the four main characters in the film that are actually looking for the film themselves um 
like I said, uh, William Sadler's good in it. Uh, some of the footage that they find of the film is really cool. The concept is really fucking cool. The concept is very, I don't want to say necessarily super ahead of its time because we did have stuff like cigarette burns and uh, like lost film kind of style like Hannibal Holocaust, but the idea that the film is a continuing film is uh, something a little bit special and different. Um, and I think that... Um, there's just something, this is before Antrim, it's before a lot of the other movies, and I don't think people bring this one up as much as they should, just in the concept alone gives it enough points to make it worth watching. Uh, the killer's design is a little bit different, too. Um, there, There is points in the film like where you're like, why, why is that happening, why is that happening? And then you, you, if you stick with it, you're like, oh, shit, that's why that happened. And I kind of like that aspect, too. And if you if you like follow Dave Parker's career and stuff, he, he's obviously a huge horror fan with the dead hate the living and other stuff, and he did one of the the shorts and tales from Halloween. Um, so, I mean, the guy has always been pu pushing the horror films and has a deep love for them and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I think The Hills Run Red is definitely worth checking out. Vinegar, I mean, the Shout Factory, Screen Factory put out a Blu-ray release of it and I've not had a chance to upgrade yet. But uh, I, I, I'm not sure. I, I will. If, if it ends up a good price, I will definitely uh, pick it up and check it out. I have actually the DVD, but I have an HD print on Voodoo. I remember when they had that upgrade for a couple dollars to HDX and stuff like that, or five dollars for hdx I, I did it back then just so i could watch it in hd and i eventually I, I finally did get a chance to so yeah hills run red we're checking out uh sounds interesting sounds like it's up your alley then i would i would do it okay let's roll those final 70 movies the 1970 movies yeah we're gonna roll this is gonna be the last or maybe i'll, I'll probably do it one more time when i break down everything but yeah this is second to last time you're gonna see this though sometimes beaten back he came again and again against the enemy Till at the end he came alone from the bloody field, for he alone could triumph. This was a Dracula deed. In summary, President Nixon ordered American troops into Cambodia. He called it an incursion, not an invasion. It lasted for two months. The purpose was to destroy enemy bases and supply lines. At times that mission was extremely dangerous. Marcus Welby, M.D., and The Dick Cavett Show will not be seen tonight so that we may bring you live cover coverage of the 42nd Annual Awards of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. The Jimi Hendrix experience is over. The acid rock musician died today in a London hospital, apparently from an overdose of drugs. Headquarters in Washington, I'm Howard K. Smith. I'm Harry Reasoner in New York. These are tonight's headlines. Rail service across the nation is crippled by the continuing strike of the Railway Clerks Union. President Nixon meets with newsmen in his first nationally televised news conference since late July. Defense counsel says that Lieutenant Calley had orders from higher up to kill every living thing in July. And Secretary of State Rogers pledges that American troops will not be sent back into Cambodia. Howard? Reports tonight on the rail strike from Gregory's... And after she let the devil fornicate with her... Making the men impotent. All right. Uh, the first one I'm going to be talking about is Cynthia, the devil's doll. And notice, take notice how they spell Cynthia, right? Her name is actually Cynthia with a C, but they spell it S-I-N-T-H-I-A. 
Ooh, sin, sinful. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, Cynthia, the Devil's Doll. This is an oddity. Like, there's a lot of these ones that feel like weird carryover, trippy sex films from the uh, 60s turn, and then they're just like exploitation, weird, psychological. Again, here we go. Psychological, psychedelic. And Cynthia, the Devil's Doll is definitely one of those psychological, psychedelic movies. Uh, yeah, how do I go about this? Not much plot, really. We have this girl who... Um, murdered her parents and she's very feels very guilty about it so she goes to a psychiatrist and starts to break down how to do it psychiatrist tells her that you need to kind of uh, change the way things happened in your dream so you can finally be relieved relive it redo it and then change things for the better to make yourself feel better and forget it so basically she has this weird fucking uh, weird visions of sex and all these crazy characters playing multiple people including her father popping up as somebody else and her mother popping up as someone else and tons of sex and tons of like you know orgy stuff and bright colors and greens and blues and all sorts of shit and LSD tripping like as far as like that I mean that's pretty much the movie if it sounds like it's up your alley then check it out it's about 70 minutes or maybe even less of kind of a, a, a drugged out sexual uh, escapade of weirdness um, I, I don't know how to break it down there's obviously some more interesting things in there um, and there's uh, this is kind of pushing the boundary on some of the sexual stuff. Um, so, I mean, it, it's worth checking out if it, it's kind of up your alley for the, like, the exploitation kind of element and stuff like that and the weird kind of uh, also satanic element definitely in here as well. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, don't, I didn't hate my time with it, but I just can't see myself revisiting it, especially in the quality that I had to watch it in. I know that something uh, weird put the DVD out, but that's out of print. Um, somebody uploaded the whole thing on YouTube, which I know is illegal, but it is the only way to watch Cynthia the Devil's Doll unless you buy the DVD, which is out of print. Um, it comes with another movie too, I think, Satanus, which is a 1970 documentary about satanic rituals or rites or whatever. I think it's Anton LaVey and that probably is. But uh, yeah, um, Cynthia the Devil's Doll. Okay, this next one here is from Synapse Films, and this is a 1970 flick, and this is a Bizarre, a.k.a. The Secrets of Sex. And I don't even know how to talk about this one, to be honest. Um, it's a 1970 movie. Um, fuck. It's a bunch of weird vignettes that I I vaguely remember any of them. It, it this was a chore. Like this is one of the last things I watched, and it was just like that's enough 1970 for me. Um, it's categorized as a horror film, but God knows why. I mean, uh, it's narrated by a mummy who's doing his best Christopher Lee impersonation and uh, or impression, I should say, because it's just I don't I don't know what the fuck. Either way, but uh, he's wrapped up and he's like. Yes, the battle of sexes. But I did get a kick out of it. There's this scene where, um, because the mummy sounds like Christopher Lee and it's just a mummy sitting there. Like, you can't see his mouth. You just see it. Um, and he's sitting there and he's like, can you imagine having sex with this boy? Or this girl. And it's just imagining Christopher Lee actually saying that himself. And like just like popping up and it'll show like this nude man and or popping up it'll show a nude woman. And it just does it for like, five minutes and like in 1970 people were like oh i get to see i get to see some naked uh, naked people i'm into it let's check it out but in 1970 now you're like i'm sorry i know it's like uh and i should have some more respect for something that is interesting and a piece of like cinema history but on top of that like i'd rather watch cynthia which just is better at being like a weird kind of trippy movie. This is uh, has some comedy elements, and all the vignettes are different and weird, and um, it's definitely pushing that boundary. Um, on the cover, it says, the film they didn't want you to see. It's like, nowadays, if it came out, they're like, the film, we don't even know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> 
So, like I'm saying, as it goes on, there's just like tons of these vignettes, one of which involves like a poisonous plant or somebody being poisoned. I, I really had a hard time following or remembering anything from this, and I know that's such a negative, like, cop-out. Um, but like I said, guys, this is a uh, convention rot, and this was probably my least favorite movie I watched this week. It was just a bunch of blurry, nonsensical, goofy things. Uh, guys holding machine guns naked, and uh, women kind of running around naked, too. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's borderline nudity cutie borderline i don't even want to say something like anthology film because there's not really any morality tales there's a really weird crazy tale about this old man who has sex with this woman who knows that she's possibly passed on a weird genetic disease where the baby will come out mutated and guess what fucking happens the baby comes out mutated and the guy's like oh and then like they try to tie it in like i guess the the male lost in this battle of the sexes and you're just like this is loosely tied together nonsense. This is just like uh, some sort of politician trying to beat around the bush so he doesn't have to... I don't know what the fuck it is. It's just... It's nonsense. It's fucking nonsense. It's bizarre. I guess they're not lying. It's bizarre. It's, uh, yeah, it's weird. And the guy in that weird skit who had the weird mutated baby looked like the guy who was in Beyond Bizarre. I was like, bizarre. Beyond Bizarre. So that's all I have to say about Bizarre. Um, I'm sorry. Uh... Don't watch it. I wouldn't recommend it. Um, some people will probably really dig it, especially if you if you uh, know the history of it. I imagine there's some people behind it that have like some some like weight. Uh, I'm, the director did another horror film. I think that's much better. I think he did horror. Huh? What is it? Horror hotel horror hospital. He did one of those. I can't fucking remember. I'm getting old. I'm getting old. But uh, bizarre. I did uh, wrap it out of shrink. I took the shrink wrap off to watch it for this too. So uh, it's going to sit there for a long time before I pick it up again, unless there's some sort of element uh, that I need to check out about it. Okay, we're going to put these together. It's going to be the shorts block. I watched two shorts. I couldn't leave these on the table from 1970. I watched David Lynch's The Grandmother, which is uh, the first time I watched this, and it's a David Lynch movie, so what the fuck can I say about it? I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, so this actually is on the Brood Blu-ray, so that's where I watched it, the Criterion Blue Blu-ray. Bru uh, Blue that's, a, that's a tongue twister. The Brood Blu-ray, um, yeah, as a feature. I'm not going to show that. You guys... Just, just buy the, buy the brood Blu-ray. You need it from Criterion. So, uh, yeah, the grandmother. Uh, this is a strange film. Obviously, uh, we have kind of like this black and white experimental thing. I, this is, had to be made in college, right? And uh, it's on film, of course. You know, 1970. But uh, this this young child is born to these abusive parents, and it's really, really kind of disgusting kind of moment. It's really weird and we have like animation showing everything too and it's like mixing plant life and and human life and this kind of element and showing it so uh he's always abused and just miserable so he decides to like plant his own grandmother and grow her and uh and his grandmother takes care of her and everything like that so it's kind of weird that the opposite of a young boy planting his grandmother instead of and taking care of her and having, being get, finding his own love and stuff instead of her comforting him i don't know how to go about this but it's weird as shit and this probably says a lot more than i can comprehend and and gather here it's definitely a precursor to um uh, Eraserhead, but he had some other shorts as well. I think the Alphabet and stuff. Um, I was fine with this. I don't see myself revisiting it very much unless I went through all David Lynch's catalog and uh, you know had some more context to this one. Uh, yeah, so that's the grandmother. As far as the other short is concerned, it is on the um, is it on the scanners or Videodrome? It's on the Videodrome Blu uh, Blu-ray from Criterion. It is Crimes of the Future. 
This one I found a little bit more interesting. Definitely more Cronenberg. It's also longer. It's about an hour and three minutes. Um, and it stars a guy who pops up in some uh, a couple of Cronenberg's early films. So this takes place in a world where all women have died from this rare disease that is named after the, the guy who found it called Anton Rouge. Uh, the main guy in this movie was a student of uh, a protege of Anti Rouge. And Anti Rouge has actually caught his own disease that he named, which is you, they thought it was on impossible for males to catch it, but that's not the case. All females have died on this planet. So some of the men have seemed to take more of a feminine quality about them, like the, the and and, uh, and possibly there's this. At points, this movie feels like a strange cruising movie where there's like these weird foot massages and shit. So it's just a crazy world that has been created by this disease. Um, and I, I think it was uh, somehow created by cosmetics. I'm not 100% sure what the hell the culprit was, but it definitely fits into Cronenberg's kind of, you know, oeuvre with, you know, stuff like Rabbit and um, uh, Shivers and all that kind of shit like that. And Scanners um, and The Brood, all the kind of early body horror by medicine psychology gone wrong. Uh, so what happens is this guy who was uh, the protege of Anton Rouge just got lost without him. We have this strange narration and he's going around and, and the, the people with this disease they secrete something and it becomes like this weird kind of almost like drug and they're eating it it's just kind of unpleasant and gross and weird um but of course it, it gets weirder and weirder and weirder and uh there's some people that are murdered it's just a, a weird fucking thing some of the cinematography i really liked i like some of the acting it definitely feels sexual and a lot of stuff too um like i said the foot massages are, are just creepy like i don't know how to put it that way they just feel way dirtier than they should be um, yeah, but uh, if it sounds like it's up your alley. Um, it also has some children of men moment with uh, a character, you know, the last of their kind. And I thought that was kind of interesting, too. Um, I doubt the. I imagine Children of Men was probably based off a book, and I, maybe they did see uh, Crimes of the Future. You never know. I, I'm not sure the history of that that script or that story where it came from, but uh, it's a hell of a movie. Much better than Crimes of the Future, but still, the idea that there's a last remaining, and I'm, that's not the first time for anything, right? We have uh, tons of stuff with The Last Man Remaining. But that idea that that last child and stuff. So I don't know. Crimes of the Future, it was interesting to watch, and I'm glad I watched it. Uh, yeah, that's going to be the last one I talk about from 1970. No more new watches. We're recording that show the 15th of October, and I don't know when it will be out, but shortly after that. Zombie Bloodbath 2, Rage the Undead. Oh. What? You ain't seen Zombie Bloodbath 2, Rage the Undead? No, I guess I must have missed that one. You ain't seen nothing. You ain't seen nothing. I seen way more than you. Mm -hmm. You haven't seen Taxi Driver, Goodfellas, Casino, Cannibal Holocaust, The Beginning, The Great Escape, Kelly's Heroes, Once Upon a Time in the Fucking West. You haven't seen War and Peace. Pink Flamingo, Casablanca, Gone with the Wind, Citizen Game, The Alvin and the Chipmunks Christmas Special. You haven't seen, hmm, what else haven't you seen? The Magnificent Seven? The Magnificent Seven Ride Again? The Magnificent Seven Are Back? Is that a movie? And last of all, you ain't seen Zombie Bloodbath 2, Rage of the Undead. And you haven't seen War and Peace. I ain't watching War and Peace. The hell you are. Fuck War and Peace. So we're here for You Ain't Seen? Finally. Um, and it is your pick. So why don't you tell the beautiful people what you picked and what the hell it is. Oh, it's Black Cauldron. It's a Disney movie. The movie that ruined Disney. 
The end. That's all yeah. you really need to know. 1985 movie. Voice talents of who? Freddie Jones is in here, right? There's a there's another big name in here that John I'm Hurt. John Hurt is in here as the Horn King. Yeah, yeah. great voice. Um, you read that when we do the review in the the one book, we'll read the credits because I know I'm forgetting some others. I got some brain fried brain. Uh, I don't know how. Do you want me to explain the plot, or do you want me to explain the plot? Uh, well, so this is based off of books. Um, as a series called the Chronicles of. Puritan, if I'm saying it right. Um, you know, I think this series is maybe seven books. I've only read like four of them so far. Um, I should think I had the anthology somewhere. But um, anyways, the um, this movie combines like bits and pieces of the first and second book to make a mediocre movie. An unfinished movie, a movie that was cut to shreds and all the neat bits missing out of it. Um, I don't think that Don Bluth was present while making this one, but I think he was present in the beginning and in initial planning stages. And that's yeah. when, and you see a lot of his character designs like present in it. It looks very similar to um, Sword in the Stone. Um, but, you know, but then he goes off and he starts his own company that actually rivals Disney for a couple of years until. He makes terrible movies, but enough about that. Um, Tim Burton also had a hand in this movie. He's not credited. I yeah. think this is also, he quit at the time. This was like, this was going to be like our biggest movie. You know, we're, we're Disney, we're coming out, or we're entering the 80s, we're making all these live action films. We don't know how to animate anymore. Let's make, you know, a big animated movie and end it. It flopped. It got cut to shreds because it was too scary. We couldn't decide a tone. Um... The movie is essentially about a whole lot of nothing, going from point A to point B to stop an evil king from attaining a cauldron made out of another evil king to rule an army of the undead and conquer the world, as the opening credits suggest, and they never mention it again. And the opening credits are amazing. It's like kind of like that doom, 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 where it sets it up, and I was like, oh, this is great. Yeah. And then the first act, I was like, this is amazing. And then the second act, this is good. Third act, I was like... What's, there's a lot missing, isn't there? There's something missing Why's here. Why's up like, all the fairies? <laughs> what was with all the worms and shit? Um, yes, <laughs> we uh, also had the voice of Phil Fondacaro, and I yeah. recognized his voice right away. I was like, wait, wait, wait. I love that he played the little henchman. If you guys know him, he's in uh, Troll, he's in Ghoulies 2, he's in Creeps, he's in Bordello of Blood, he's in lots of movies. He, I saw Bordello of Blood in science class. Yeah. Um, he, what, what's that guy? He's a little gremlin guy, um, and I always forget that he's in it. Um... Uh, I can't think of his name. I think it's called Catcher or Creeper. Creeper. I think his name is Creeper. Creeper. It's definitely Creeper. Um, you know, and he's just kind of like the lovable villain mascot, like a, like an Iago type. What was the short guy in um, Pirates of Dark Water? He's a, li a lot like that a character. A lot like... Who Tim Curry played? Does Tim Curry play that Yeah, character? Tim he's, Curry he's plays He's pretty him. much that character. Just like bows to who's ever in charge and scurries away when he's in danger. Yeah, yeah, Tim Curry plays him. Yeah. I can't think of his name off But he, he was the best character of that show, I think, one of them. Um, there's also the voice of John Hurt. He plays the Horn King. Mm -hmm. And it's an amazing performance. He's, right. he's generally a good villain. He's creepy. Um, his demise is a little lackluster. It's almost yeah. kind of like... Like, how did this really happen? I mean, it's kind of like what happens to uh, Ronnie Cox in Total Recall. <laughs> he gets sucked into something. Um, I almost called him Dick Jones, who plays his, uh, <laughs> his voice, and uh, who is his character in RoboCop. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I really thought it was really great in the, in the very beginning. I was very intrigued. And like I said, you can tell where they start to cut some of the stuff up when the, the, the dead army comes back. Right. And, 
Um, it does have a good like Halloween feel in the very beginning, the first two acts for sure. And it's not bad. I enjoyed myself throughout the entirety mm -hmm. of the movie. I thought some of the characters were fun. It's definitely a ragtag group of people kind of um, survive and on a mission group. Like you have the main guy, then you have like the weird little like furry guy that they mm -hmm. find that's clearly going to be like that he's very annoying, but he's going to do the sacrificial thing. Right, he's and got then, the heart of gold. Yeah. Uh, and then there was a, a female character too, right? Uh, Princess Alanwi. Yeah, and she's um, like the one that knows what's going on more than the actual hero. Does she though? I mean, does I think... Does anybody know what's going on? I don't, none of them really know really quite what's going on. She's there. She helps uh, Taryn, the main guy, get out of like a situation. And then like every, every character that they come across is just kind of like in it for the ride. They meet this like old man bard guy. Um, who seems to like... We would suggest that he has some importance <coughs> or some, but he really doesn't do anything. He literally does nothing, and I, I think he, I don't even know if he like facilitates like a means of escape. At one point, um, he offers his harp up as a trade for the cauldron, and you know that that's not going to work. Um, the movie doesn't need him in it. He he does have a larger role to play in the book. I imagine. Um, but in the movie, it's like. Yeah, we just need a creepy old guy to chaperone these two kids here. The, the three witches are pretty fun. In the it, three witches you know? are fantastic. I do really like them. Um, they show up in the in the marsh, um, and I think that they probably have like they probably help like what's the thing like progress the plot a bit more yeah, than yeah. literally anything else in this movie. Um, the Horn King just sort of sits around and does nothing. He's a very traditional Disney villain. Um, you know, it's not until you get to like the likes of Ursula and Jafar you start getting more like active villains. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Corella might be a maybe a bit yeah, more yeah. of an active villain towards the end of that movie of 101 Dalmatians. But no, he's very much like Evil Queen Hell, even the evil queen in Snow White does a bit more than oh, what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She dresses up still, lady, and gets right, the apple. Yeah. I mean, she does everything, in fact. <laughs> like, literally, John Hurt's just sitting on a throne, and like. But his voice is wonderful. His, his voice is fantastic. You know, he occasionally, like, scowls around the castle with all the brigands in it, and, you know, he, he really is a very passive villain. It's like, I just need to get this college, and I just need them to find me, and then I'm okay. Um, really, his henchmen. Uh, the little goblin guy, Phil uh, Fondacaro. Fondacaro. He steals the yeah, show. I, I, I do. Nah, I, I prefer the black, the Horn King. I do like when they do show like the um, how you under or find the future. The kind of like yeah, like, that's awesome through the black cauldron and the water and stuff. That was very nice touch. Yeah. So um, Taryn is an assistant pig keeper, yeah. and that's his role. He wants to be a hero, and you know he he has an old grandpa guy that's kind of who, who plays that grandpa. It's somebody. That's, Oh no! Wait, is that the guy from Blade Runner? Um, Dune. Dune. Is that him? Freddie Jones. Is it Freddie Jones? I think that's Freddie Jones. I think Jones. it might be Freddie Jones. Um, he's either that or like the leader of those fairies. One of them. We'll no, see. no, no. Yeah, he's. I think we'll he's the. Yeah, Taryn's mentor. Um, but yeah, so they they have a pig, and like this this pig is like the most important thing. On the planet. We forgot the pig's subplot completely. Yeah, um, so the pig can tell the future. It's an oracle pig, and if you, like, say a little spell and put it under a trance when it looks into water, you know, she'll have visions of what's going to happen, or she can answer any question. Um, and, you know, the first book is all... is I think the first book's actually called The Assistant Pig Keeper. I mean, it's all about the damn pig. Honestly, I'm my new... 
um, comic book line is going to be called Oracle Pig Keeper. Oracle <laughs> Pig Keeper. And then they, they, uh, the Horn King always calls um. So the main guy Taron, like he's just known as Pig Boy for like most all of the, the film. villains are like Pig Boy. Get Pig Get Boy. Get that Pig Boy. <laughs> Do your trick, Pig Boy. It's like what is uh, going on? It here? it is fun. Like I, if I'm gonna come rating on it, I would probably be like a three and a half. But because I I feel like there's a lot missing on it. Yeah, um, you know, animation-wise, I think it's one of the most beautiful movies ever made. I love the character design, the way that they're animated. Um, animation, I'd honestly give it a five. I think it's one of the best-looking Disney movies, especially pre-Renaissance. You know um, nothing about animation. I, I really actually I'm don't. Kidding. Um, I, I'm kind of like an ignorant fool when it comes to most things. But story-wise, it's... Yeah, I don't even know if it's the fault because it was like cut the shreds or if they just took too big of stories and made too little of one. But the movie is very much plot wise. Go, let's go from point A to point B. Let's just keep walking and something will eventually happen. The characters don't really grow or change. I mean, there is like this like coming of age story. Well, I but mean, Pig, Pig Boy does learn that, you know, you're not necessarily a hero. When right. he finds the magic sword and he does the right thing, he's like. It's not you. It's kind of a sad message in a Disney movie. It's like sometimes it's okay to be a pig boy. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes it's, it's like, okay to be an assistant pig. It's keeper. like the boiled down statement. It's like the world needs janitors too. It's <laughs> like, but I don't want to be the janitor. But uh, you know, like, and the whole magic sword thing's really weird because, like, it the pig boy actually just robs a grave. <laughs> Well, it's from the bad guys, so it's better you have it than them. Well, no, it's 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 the grave of a good king, and so he, you know. Yeah, but aren't the bad guys stealing all his stuff, and he goes and takes it? Yeah, so like they, they they basically better him are. having it there. So, what would you give it? No, I want to talk about the magic sword because I think it's an important point. Well, I brought it up. Okay, well, yeah, well, so anyway, so Pig you Boy robs a grave to get the magic sword, you know, and this sword, like, it's magical. It like does everything for Pig it's Boy. It's the magic sword for like two scenes, and then it's like. They get to the witches and they're like, we want your sword. And, and Pig Boy's like, I'll give up my most prized possession. It's like, bitch, you stole that. You stole that from a dead man. Yeah, but it's what makes him a hero. But he does the right thing. And, he doesn't uh, even do the right thing. Uh, Gurgi does the right thing. Gurgi's the one that jumps in the damn cauldron. Yeah, but Pig Boy don't do shit in Gurgi had nobody. He had no family. Gurgi had no family. He, he already ate the done apple. So, I mean, he's just like, well, time to fucking die. And then at the very end... Time to make the donuts <laughs> right. and time to die. And then at the very end, um, uh, I forget how... Does he offer... He offer Well, they do some sort of the, yeah, You just some, told the whole entire movie. This movie came out in 1985, and they so? haven't seen it. I mean, it, let's be real. Ain't nobody going to fucking watch it. Black Cauldron. So we're going to read from the Creature Features John Stanley book. It's not in the other book. It's not really a horror film. I can find out which of the 15 stickers is the bookmark I need in here. Ooh, Birds of Prey with Harley Quinn. Um, so it's not is, in there. That's not Birds of Prey. That's a.k.a. Killing Birds, I'm sure. It's he Beaks the Movie. Okay, it's not It's not Killing Birds. It's Beaks the Movie. Okay. I always laughed at that title because every time I saw it, it's Beaks the Movie. I was like, as opposed to Beaks the Soft Drink. Like, right. Stop it. It's like Garbage Pail Kids the Movie. Yes, because there actually was a trading card line. Or... Beaks the Limited Series TV. <laughs> I, I mean, I, yeah, it's the fun. <laughs> it's stupid. An ABC family. All right, The Black Cauldron, 1985. He gives it three out, out of, of five. Out of five? Okay. Oh, I, I, animation, I give it a five. Story-wise, it's it, honestly like maybe like a four. No, story-wise, it's maybe like a two. I, get, I'd give it a four overall. Okay. okay. You have a soft spot for it. I do have a soft spot. <laughs> um, 
Interesting, it's the Great Mouse Detective that saves Disney. Okay. Um, 1985, three stars out of five. Long-awaited, five years in the making, and expensive, $25 million. Animated feature from Disney, based on Lloyd Alexander's The Chronicles of Pyrdane. Pyrdane. Pridane. <laughs> Pridane. I, I, yeah, Pridane. I, never, I never knew. Pridane, probably. The evil Horn King seeks the Black Cauldron, that spectral stew pot with the power to conquer the world. Standing in his way is Terran, a naive hero who proves his nettle with a magic sword, a beautiful scullery maid, a roving minstrel, a fuzzy, cute animal creature that mutters, and an oracle divining pig. An odd blend of styles, some cartoonish, some grittily realistic, and characters, some old-fashioned Disney, others like extras from Conan, results in a stunningly visual piece that still seems trivial. Directed by Ted Berman and Richard Rich, John Huston narrates the introduction, oh, yeah. voices John Hurt as the Horned King, Grant Bargely as Taron, and Susan Sheridan as Alanwe. Parentheses Disney. I forgot that John Huston does the narration, and he's got one of the best voices. Who's that John Huston? He's a director, but he also is an actor as well. He's in Chinatown. He's a big, big director. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he talked about He's a great that. actor. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I said, um, next week I'm going to pick a blind spot because it keeps coming up. And third time in the month this movie has been brought up, and I always wanted to watch it, and it's a, it's a bad blind spot I haven't seen. Mm -hmm. And actually, it's right behind us. It's a Criterion. What you call Critteron. Uh, it's a Critteron. It's Haosu. I've seen Haosu. No, you haven't. Let me see it. That just says house. Yeah, but it's Haosu. Oh, because you speak Japanese now? I am a Japanese expert. I didn't know if you know that. Um, I taught him all the Japanese he knows. So ne. You say, did you? Kono yatsu no You're insulting me. I'm giving it someone. The one person that listens to this that knows Japanese right. is going to be like, they're like, how do you conjugate your verbs like that, you ignorant? <laughs> all right, all right. So, anyways, next week's going to be House. I'm excited to watch it. House. House. It's like that ring and ringu nonsense. House. 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 We're done. We're out of here. Bye. All right, guys, let's get into these questions, comments, concerns, all that jazz. Now, I initially was going to try to do that game where people gave me two actors and do this uh, six degrees of separation, but it hit that point where like some of you guys were giving me some real hard ones, and I'm not trying to be like, um, I was going to try to tackle some of them. Some of them I would have just had to tap out immediately, like Haley Mills and stuff. It's just an actress I'm not too familiar with where I'd be completely screwed. Or Emily Blunt. Like I know she's probably in 100 movies I've seen, but she just doesn't register right off the top of my head, and I did not want to cheat at all. So uh, I need to diversify a little bit more um, and also my brain is fried like I saw somebody put Kurt Russell and Richard Harris and I was like oh that one's pretty easy just use Gene Hackman Al Pacino uh, you're there um, but some of the other ones I was like fuck I could do them they're gonna be tough other ones I was like I'm completely screwed on this one all right but uh, yeah I, I planned on doing it but after the con uh, the con I'm tapping out you guys win so uh, Isimisio Evil Dead Trap the greatest I love the crush and movies with similar premises have you seen Devil in the Flesh just a slew of these like-minded roles from the 90s that I grew up with and have an unhealthy amount of uh, love for Happy uh, October Pumpkin and I think Devil in the Flesh is the one with Rose McGowan right and there was a sequel I've not watched that I think I have the actual DVD of Devil uh, in the Flesh I'll have to check that out I've always wanted to 
Monster Movie Man 13. I agree with you, Dave. I enjoy the hell out of Malignant. I think some moviegoers take that James Wan did with Malignant and can't get behind it. They think it needs to have this serious, straightforward narrative and say that they were blindsided by the final third. And since it's a love letter to different genres, they think it's a mess. It took me a second viewing to appreciate and truly understand what he was doing. People praise Tarantino for doing the same thing with a mismatched love letter to genres, but are condemning Wan for doing the same because it's not a normal thing for him. Some people just need to relax and just turn off their brains. I, I would agree with you, but I mean, I've had some people say they don't like it here and there, and I trust their opinions, but for me, I, I'm 100% with you on that. I do think there's a lot of people that were like, this isn't like James Wan. I don't. I wanted a James Wan movie. And I, I'm guilty of that sometimes, too. Like that Texas Chainsaw Massacre Leatherface movie. I was like, I don't want my Texas Chainsaw like this at all. And I just can't get behind this movie. Um, so I didn't care for that much. And maybe some people are like, we just got to relax. and not. But when that movie says, hey, we're a prequel to the original. I'm like, this doesn't really make any fucking sense that it's a prequel. Then fuck off. Um, Nick Mua, thank you for shining your film-loving torch on Deep End. This film has haunted me for years. Not too many people seem to appreciate it, though, sadly. I think people do. I just think that the circle of the horror films, a lot of horror fans and, and Deep End fans, they should cross paths, but maybe they don't. And uh, maybe like higher level people talk about Deep End than myself. But maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe nobody's seen Deep End. I think people have, though. Uh, I hope they have. It's a good movie. Um, then I think James Duvall is one of the best actors for Six Degrees of Separation game. He has about 150 credits, so this comes as no surprise. Also, Donald Sutherland, what movie, TV show, or commercial hasn't he, not to mention all his acting children, been in? I wouldn't be surprised if he plays Jeremy next week. Yeah. Donald Sutherland's a good one, too. I mean, you got Time to Kill. He's uh, right there... Um, Time to kill. He's in ton. Like you can connect him to so many, so many actors right off the t cuff, right there. Uh, questions: If you could make this weekly show your day job, would you go for it, or would you fear running out of steam? No, I would go for it. Uh, yeah, I would love it. Uh, day job. What do I have to do? Just work five days a week. Um, yeah. How much would I get paid? That's what we're talking. I know it sounds greedy, but if I got paid as much as I get paid at my job and I knew I had job security, of course I would do this for my, I like doing this. This is a hobby, but I didn't like doing this. It wouldn't be being done. Right. Um, Please name your favorite and your most hated remake. My favorite remake, if you're counting stuff like The Thing, which I've never even seen the original, so I can't compare it as a remake, um, but The Blob, The Thing. But if you guys are talking The Fly, those are all fantastic. I like Nightly and Dead 1990, so I like those ones. But if we're talking more modern, it's got to be The Maniac. I love Maniac original. I love Maniac remake. Both of those, I think. I, I would probably be Maniac. As my least, uh, I don't care for my most hated i mean there's some pure turds like the day of the dead remake is unwatchable both those are unwatchable films i mean like they're just uh, completely not anything like day of the dead they don't have any little they just are it, they're just money makers they have no love towards the original source material and i mean they don't need to be the same remake it remake it but when you did the dawn of the dead remake remade it but they also had love letters and, and stuff, little hints to the original that showed you, hey, this is the basic premises here. You know, a lot of the stuff that you love's not, but we're going to do something different. But we're going to show some love to the original. You know what I mean? It's kind of like a new fighter coming in and knocking out a legend and then flipping them off. Like, that, that, that's how those Day of the Dead remakes are, right? Um, as far as least favorite, um, just like besides the obvious, um, I don't care for the Last House on the Left remake. I just don't. I or the Ice Spit on Your Grave remake. I don't think they're the worst movies ever made, of course. I'm just not a fan of them. Uh, I just think they kind of missed the mark on what the originals were. And the Last House remake updated version just doesn't do what it's supposed to do for me. Like, And I think the movie Chaos, which is uh, people would say is a much worse film um, on budget and, and acting. You know, yeah, yeah, it's not on the level of the Last House and the Left remake. 
but it's just it captures the spirit of that original last house on the left that says man you're gonna feel horrible after this and just not you know the world's not what you think it is and that kind of captures that 70s uh nihilistic feeling and uh maybe people don't want that maybe that's not appropriate to do nowadays or whatever but i do know that that's how i feel about the last house on the left remake i just think it missed the mark i don't think it captures the spirit of the original um, when you do start decor, it's not an updated version of the original, if that makes any sense. When you do start collecting for all Hal's Eve, do you add more decorations every year? Um, you start decorating. Sorry about that. Um, no. Uh, last year, I last minute decorated. I know that's terrible. Like people think I love, since I love horror movies, I'm this big festive Halloween guy. I love Halloween. Don't get me wrong. But I just, um, the problem is I live on a main street now, so I don't have any trick or treaters, which makes me sad. So I don't decorate as much as I want to. But last year I ended up decorating because I knew that a lot of the kids weren't going to get to go trick or treating for COVID. So I had to like my friend's kids come in. We decorated the outside of the house and we set up the house. The inside of the house is like a little haunted house so they could walk through. We had like all my friends kind of uh monstered out and they walked through the house with fog fogs being pumped through the whole house and and they kind of walked in the backyard and we had like a fake cemetery set up the, i have a decent sized backyard so we kind of just scared the kids and at the very end i jumped out of the the little uh kind of tool shed or basically you yeah, have the tool shed in the back with like a big corn mask a corn head man guy mask on and uh, my cousin's backyard is a werewolf my i had the halloween spooky puppets my friend was behind the couch doing it and they're all other kids are walking through and shit it was fun uh so we I did decorate for that. So, but I'm not one that buys all these big giant decorations and puts them in the front yard. I don't do that. I'll put out some lights. Maybe I always put out a pumpkin. You got to have a pumpkin. If you don't put out a pumpkin, uh, Sam's going to get you, right? Um, but yeah, and then what do we have? George Hilton. George Buck Flower would probably be my best pick for actor to use in a film related Six Degrees of Separation game. What the flick? Um, I'll see you at Wasteland. I can't wait. It's my first time going. Did you see me? I don't know. Uh, did you come over and say hi? I know I saw a couple people there that, uh, um, geez, I know Shashin Barbarian did, and I don't know. He comments on the Facebook. I don't know if that's your, I think that might be your name on YouTube as well, is, is what the flick. Um, Kentuckinator, um, Kentucky, uh, Kentuckinator, sorry, sadly my pervert card has expired. Wizard of Gore is a terrible film, but I found it oddly compelling. I understand. I have a lot of movies like that where I'm watching, I'm like, ah, I know everybody hates this, but I, I know it's bad, but I like it. Zach Nolan, interesting reviews this week. I like when you focused more on older movies any idea when the tombs of the blind dead martin blu-ray release dates no i'm going to get them when they do though um and what the flick also commented i can't wait to check out star of david thanks dave chris vaughn hey man i haven't seen your videos for years as i sold my collection and stopped watching these kinds of videos but i just wanted to say it's great to see that you're doing good thanks for the videos dude thanks man uh hope you're doing good as well uh so southport rocker cool hearing you talk about the lady in the car with glasses and a gun been on my watch list after hearing that pure cinema episode as well look forward to your wasteland video update awesome thank you uh reader 1717 hey new to the channel i'm checking out your backlog of videos and it's really enjoyable i love slashers but haven't seen death screams now i need to you absolutely need to see death screams it's very very fun um yeah but i don't know how many slashers you've seen probably quite a bit but uh, don't be thinking you're walking into The Burning or The Prowler or Friday the 13th Part 4. Um, <laughs> so Chris Rivers, I use Frank Whaley a lot uh, for The Six Degrees, and I usually prefer, uh, reference his performance in JFK. It's a good performance. Is that the uh, director's cut, though? Does that count? 
I think it does. But Frank Whaley's also in Pulp Fiction. He's also in Little Monsters. He's also in, um, what was that one? Um, something, Coney Island. Uh, good uh, Welcome Home Coney. He's in that. Uh, Ken Coakley. To answer your six degree question, Christopher Walken comes to mind. He's been at, at since the 60s and done stuff with Jeff Goldblum, Chris Sarandon, Robert De Niro, the late uh, John Cazell, fellow Boston native who got his who got his then-fiancée Meryl Streep a role in The Deer Hunter. In a small world, he did Brainstorm um, with Natalie Wood. Then years later, True Romance with Dennis Hopper, who was in Rebel with Cause with Wood. So, yeah, I mean, like, the connections are endless with that. Uh, Hopper's a great one, too, to use. I knew someone who tried to contact Kevin Bacon, uh, connect Kevin Bacon to Weird Al Yankovic. I managed to do it. Weird Al starred in UHF. Character actor Trinidad Silva was also in it, as well as Colors, directed by Dennis Hopper, with Sean Penn, who was in Mystic River, with Kevin Bacon. There we go. Um, like I said, those games are fun to play in person. Um, then we have, come to think of it, Dennis Hopper should be on the list as well. He even worked with George A. Romero. Yeah, I always uh, put him as working with two of my favorite directors. He worked with Romero and Sam Peckinpah, which I love. Um, then we have another game similar to Six Degrees. is a game that I played with my best friend's fiance who worked at Best Buy. I assume it can be played by two players or more. I'll, I'll make it three. I mentioned an actor's name. You mentioned a film. That person was... A in then a third person's name, someone else who is in the same film. Example, Tom Hanks, me, big. Third person, Robert Leoja, you, Scarface, me, Al Pacino. Goes on until some person can't name the actor or title. I got banned from the game because someone tried to throw me off by the first person saying Billy Bob Thornton. The second person said Chopper Chicks in Zombie Town. I was supposed to tap out and I could have mentioned MTV VJ Martha Quinn and I soundly beat them as it was her only movie that I know of. But I mentioned Don Kaffa so the game could continue. I even dropped hints which was against the rules. I kept saying more brains and do you want a party? But they didn't bite. They banned me and uh, dubbed me a, a queen. I win a little game and they uh, emasculate me a little. Sorry this is long but I always have to say a lot. That's all right. Like I said, um, yeah, your last two comments, for some reason, sometimes when people comment, the notification pops up, I go to click on it and they're gone. Like I can't like copy them to read them for the show. So a lot of times if you're like, why the fuck's my comment? They got deleted or, or they just didn't go through some weird shit with, I don't know, algorithm where they don't always post everything and then it's just gone. So I don't know what to say. Daniel Roebuck LaFleur, he uses Dick Miller, Jason Keenberg, Sam Jackson, Jeremy R, Al Pacino, Al Pacinko, which is a joke that he always calls Al Pacino, not funny. Jonathan Wilhelm, Buck Flowers, uh, Joachim Johansson, Dan Aykroyd, Kelly Casa Kuntrum. I, I don't think she knows the, the what I'm asking here, but she's like Leonardo DiCaprio performance in the movie Was But Time in Hollywood. Yes, he's great in that. Matthew Hudson, John Candy is really helpful to get from comedies to dramas because he's in JFK with a shit ton of people and was also in the movie with seemingly every comedian of the 80s. He is most uh, undoubtedly one of the best when it comes to that. See, because like, um, there's like four or five movies in the 90s that you just go to right away. You're like, True Romance has got a lot of people. JFK's got a lot of people. Natural War Killers has got a lot of people. Um, Tombstone has a lot of people. So you start branching those off, you can almost get to anybody. That's why, like, when somebody like Kurt Russell, you're like, oh, Kurt Russell's easy to get to by anybody. I mean, he was early in his career. He's working with Charles Bronson. He was working, and Kurt Russell's one of the best for me to use because he was in a lot of the uh, Carpenter movies as well. And uh, Escape from New York, you get Ernest Borgnine, you leave Van Cleef. It's just like you're, you're easy. Smooth sailing, getting to the westerns and stuff, too. If you can get to the westerns, you can get to the crime films, you can get almost everything because those movies are just littered with character actors. So, uh, yeah. Uh, as um, Here we go. Question of the week, and I'm going to go real simple because I need some suggestions. I'm going to go 
give me some 2021 horror recommendations. They don't have to be directly from 2021, but they have to count, like for United States releases, because I'm way behind on it. I like to usually get 100. I'm not going to get 100 for the year-end show. I'm probably going to get like 50 to 75, which is uh, hopefully enough. I know a lot of people out there watch two, 300, but I, I, I like to focus more on old films. It's more my jam or the old films, and I like to mix it up. Sometimes watching 30, 40, 50 of the same kind of time frame movies it, it, it's bad for you <laughs> um even if you find interesting points i will say though i tried to watch army of the dead i was 26 minutes in i was not feeling it i tried to watch that first fear street i was not feeling it about 25 minutes in not feeling it so maybe i was just in a bad mood but those just weren't doing much for me I'll, i'm gonna try to watch i'm not gonna watch army of the dead okay it's two and a half hours long and 20 minutes in i'm like ah fuck off i'm gonna try to watch the fear street movie again because the production value and everything looks so good and i just hear a lot of good things and i'm more interested in the 78 one and stuff so it's goes on i'm going to try those another chance but as far as um army of the dead i'm going to tap out on that one and i love zombies i just nah i could tell the same for me the same that's a no for me dog but uh yeah so question of the week give me some 2021 horror recommendations what are some of your favorites from 2021 so far yeah they can be horror adjacent too but mostly keep it horror so yeah we're gonna hop into first We'll do um, the Cinema Wasteland update. And I don't know if I should hold them up and, and do the, the typical A or do the camera angle thing. I'll do the camera angle thing. We'll do the uh, twenty. We'll do the Wasteland stuff first. Or we'll do the uh, regular update first, then we'll do the Wasteland. That sounds good. All right, so, yep. Okay, I just realized the the, <laughs> the audio quality is going to be real awful here with the without the external audio behind the camera. So it's not even going to pick up very well. So, again, apologize. So this is the non-Wasteland stuff I ended up getting. Uh, first up is the Deer Hunter um, on 4K. It popped up from Shout Factory. It popped up like a relatively cheap price, 20 bucks. I was like, well, you know what? If I'm going to watch a three-and-a-half-hour movie or however long this freaking thing is, it's been a long time since I watched it, might as well be in 4K. It is over three hours long. Yeah, so it's a classic. It's been years since I've seen it. Uh, you know, obviously De Niro, Meryl Streep, John Savage, Christopher Walken, classic movie, one shot, right? Then we have another 4K, just as classic as The Deer Hunter. Transformers, the movie from Shout Factory. Again, another price. I always really like this one. Um, I've not seen it in years. You got the touch. Yeah, um, I, I grew up with Transformer toys. I don't remember the show very much. Um, I always remember this movie, though. Oh, there we go. That's going to be real bad on audio. Normally, it's an external, so I don't have to worry. But sorry, like I said. Uh, yeah, it's been a long time since I watched this. We'll uh, enjoy rewatching it. Then we have another Scream Factory. Uh, waited a long time for this bad boy to come. Alone in the Dark. Uh, uh, Jack Shoulder movie. Great cast. Jack Palance, Martin Landau, Donald Pleasance. Uh, just as a really cool uh, slasher kind of horror film. Not necessarily a slasher. Gets lumped in with the slashers a lot. But kind of uh, four mental patients escape uh, during like an electrical storm. Yeah, and they attack their new doctor's house. There's some really cool stuff in here. Jack Palance is amazing. But I believe this actor's name here is Dwight Schultz. Or, yeah, and he was in um, The Running Man as Domino and Dimino. And he's fucking fantastic in this movie very creepy um yeah he's like 400 pound huge big strong guy and you guys see that as a jason mask uh before friday 13th part three and now we have uh, encounters of the spooky kind uh the eureka release uh here this is a really cool awesome movie from hong kong wanted to see it i bought the other blu-ray but now i freaking have the 88 uh the eureka films version which is supposed to be better yeah samo hong here he's a legend so 
look forward to checking it out. Then we have Old Dark House from Eureka. Um, yeah, the classic Universal horror film from the early 30s by um, James Whale. Never seen this one. Uh, we got Karloff. Melvin Douglas is in there. Yeah, Charles Lawton. Uh, some names I recognize, of course. Not as familiar as I'd like to be with a couple of them. But uh, yeah, um, I've seen the remake of this from Hammer in the 60s by William Castle, which is more of a comedic take on the story. Um, yeah, I had to grab some of these movies here um, before we started the Universal uh, kind of movies we're going to do. There's a couple that are available I didn't have. So Old Dark House is one of them. Um, then here's another one that uh, The Man Who Laughs is another one. Victor Hugo's The Man Who Laughs was one that I wanted to start for the early Universal stuff as well. Um, yeah, from Eureka. So why not? Didn't have that one. And this one, uh, Kino put this out. And it had a release, not by Kino, that went on a print, maybe Film Detective. And it's very expensive. It is Lon Chaney and the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Or Notre Dame, however you say it. Uh, however you prefer. And, uh, yeah, this one I had never seen either. Huge blind spot. Can't wait to check it out. Uh, obviously a classic. Was very happy to see that Kino was putting this out. So I, I picked it up. I pre-ordered it right away. And then we have some more Kino stuff here. We have The Screaming Woman, a TV movie. Uh, I believe it is. Joseph Cotton's in here. I've never seen this one. I think it's a 70s TV movie, maybe late 60s, 72. Yeah, good year for films. Um, so, yeah. What else do we have? The Victim, another another TV movie Kino put out with a slipcover. Uh, yeah, so why not? Another one from 1972. And then last, this one is open because it was a Rattler. I had to check on the disc. This is Betty Davis and Scream Pretty Peggy. Another TV movie from 1973 this time. Got to go with Betty Davis. She's awesome. Maybe me and Jeremy are joking about we got to watch six uh, spooky Betty Davis movies. Maybe this will be one of them. Scream Pe uh, Pretty Peggy. Um, and that is actually the... Oh, no, no. I almost forgot. I got my Vinegar Syndrome order in when I was gone. So that is not the end of the uh, normal update. Here we go. We got Blades, which was a trauma release. Uh, Vinegar Cinder put this bad boy out just when you thought it was safe to putt. Jeez. Uh, Jaws on a Golf Course is what I've heard this movie is. I've never seen it, but uh, I'm sure it's ridiculous. And I'm sure that Vinegar Syndrome cleaned this bad boy up to levels of ridiculousness. But uh, Blades, I like the name. Instead of Jaws, we got Blades. Um, what else do we have here? Uh, Devil's Story. Uh, yeah. I've seen this movie before, and uh, one and a half times, believe it or not. Uh, this is one of these movies that, a uh, French movie, I had a DVD import, and the back of the case, I was I, I read it, and I was like, oh, wow, when I originally uh, saw this, or I picked it up on this import DVD, I was like, this is the most amazing premise ever. It's going to be the best film ever, and it's one of those ones that you read the back, and you're like, it's 100% for me, and you watch it, and you're like, this is 100% not for me. I remember uh, the beginning starts off strong, but then it just, there's literally a 30-minute scene where there's this guy shooting at a horse in a field and it just never ends but the, the, like if you were to look at all the key words for this movie you would be inve uh, impressed for a horror film you got look uh, uh, fend off a Nazi uniformed mutant his gypsy mother a rogue mummy a horse possessed by the devil and more it is an insane movie I imagine it looks beautiful on a, on a blu-ray for vinegar syndrome and I'm willing to give it another chance but uh, maybe I'll just put that horse uh horse scene in uh 1.5 speed or some shit because i remember like being in a coma when that was done um then we have resurrection with christopher lambert which i've never seen but um this is one of the serial killer movies he did right um he also did what night moves and um adrenaline which kind of not necessarily serial killer kind of which 
I talked about a little bit ago. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's crazy to see all these Christopher Lambert movies getting Blu-rays and everything like this. I think this is the one that's just supposed to be real, real kind of dark. Um, oh, Jesus. Uh, directed by uh, Russell McCauley, who did, I believe, Highlander. So. And uh, David Cronenberg's in this bad boy? This is one that I've heard people mention. And I think Dustin Mills, I, I think he brought this one up to me once and said it's real gross. And I'm just like... I'll have to watch this. I'm I'm happy Vinegar Syndrome put it out. I, another one that was probably hard to find before, for me at least on on DVD. Then we have Shallow Grave, which is another one that I always remember the cover art for. I had a I have a VHS of it somewhere, probably trying to look for it for you guys for no apparent reason because I'm not going to show it. It's just a weird habit that I have to do. Uh, I don't. Yep, there it is. Maybe I'll just run up and grab it real quick. Probably not. Where the most feared killer wears a badge. Oh, burn. Uh, yeah, so never never seen this one. Uh, heard about it for years, had the VHS for years. I, I'm an idiot. That's how it is, being a collector. You buy everything because you want to watch it. You never have time to watch it. Then you die, and you got 400 sealed movies, or 4,000 sealed movies, and everybody thinks that uh, you're just hoarding them. Uh, Debbie Does Dallas 2. That's right. Uh, she's scoring. <laughs> uh, I better check the back of this before I show it. Oh, it's clean. It, it's as clean as a porn back can look, I guess. You know, um, I've never seen the original. I would, I would definitely watch the original just because it, it somehow became like the go-to title for everybody to bring up as far as porn's concerned. Uh, Debbie Does Dallas, like everybody knows that title from your grandmother to your, you know, your best friend. Everybody's heard of Debbie Does Dallas. And then we have, um, yeah, that's right. We have uh, WNUF Halloween Special and Blu-ray. This is a really cool movie if nobody's ever seen it. Um, 2013, I believe. Uh, yeah, this is really cool stuff. I, I would recommend this one for sure. Uh, very cool. Uh, directed by Chris La Martina. Cool guy. Met him a couple times at Cinema Wasteland. And this one's become kind of a cult item for good reason. It's very fun. And here we have Duck, the Carbine High uh, Massacre. I've never seen this one. Um, it looks kind of disturbing. I'm not sure how it will play out. I know that Scream Factor, not Scream, Shriek Show put out the DVD years back. Uh, one of the Media Blasters ones. And this is one of those Saturn Core uh, releases. And I, I recently saw that they are freaking putting out Shattered Dead, which is an SOV by Scooter McRae, but they're putting it out on Blu-ray. I love that movie. Um, so Saturn Core is, uh, is okay in my book. I can't wait to check uh, Shattered Dead out on Blu-ray, maybe some really cool special features. But honestly, that is one of the, like, movies every time people ask me about sov horror or independent films from that time i always bring up shatter dead because the conceptually it's just such a cool idea and it's got some real crazy twisted stuff in it and it's just really freaking cool i've always had a real uh real liking for that film uh, then we have what really happened to baby jane and the films of the gay girls writing club that is a mouthful uh, yeah so and <laughs> this looks insane this is the egg of course i'm pretty sure that with that, that kind of title and everything, it would have to be an Agfa because the films are just super bizarre. So we have the films in here, Always on Sunday, What Really Happened to Baby Jane, The Roman Springs of Mrs. Stone, Spy on the Fly, All About Alice. So, yeah, it just looks like a, a lot of strange little films here. So 169 minutes total, yeah. And then last, uh, for the normal update, we have Primetime Panic from a fun... Uh, Fun uh, City editions. So this is uh, a little bit more. It's like a three-movie box set. Primetime Panic, Don't Dream, uh, Dreams Don't Die, Freedom, and Death Ride to Osaka, or Osaka. So it's three films in here. Uh, let's pop these bad boys out. We got Freedom first. 
We got Dreams Don't Die. They all kind of the same kind of quality, like look to them. And Death Ride to Osaka, or Osaka. Jennifer Jason Lee's in that one. That's that's impressive. Great actress, of course. So yeah, very cool. Yeah, Fun Fun City is one of those labels out there that I've been been picking up everything they put out, and I have not had a chance to dive in. I start counting. I hear lots of impressive things about, so that'll probably be the first one I check out. So you know what? I'm just going to do the whole thing in one run, and we're going to hop right into the Cinema Wasteland disc I picked up. They had this bad boy here from Synapse Films. The price tag's a bit steep, but it is for Lamberto Bava's Demons 1 and 2 in 4K. Uh, I already had the Arrow edition, but there's a few movies, this being one of them, that uh, I will buy no matter what. Um, I love this movie. I love Part 2, too, but 1 is just a special film. Um, it's so good, and I can't wait to watch the print. I guess it's the same prints on the of the Arrow disc, but I think there's some sound differences on the second uh, film, is what Don May told me. So, yeah. Okay, now we have, let's let's grab this one, Brotherhood of the Wolf. We'll grab this Diabolic Table. This is a really good film. Um, I'm, not, I'm happy the director's cut is freaking on here finally, right? Um, it is the director's cut, I hope. I would be very upset if it wasn't, right? I didn't put the director's cut on the collector's edition. I think both versions should be on there, um, honestly. But let's hope they are, or I prematurely bought this. Anyways, uh, this is a really good film, if nobody's ever seen it, by Christoph Gans. I've always liked it. Um, one of my, it was one of my friend's favorite movies. King Kong, the 70s version. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I've not seen this in years. Dino De Laurentiis produced one. Um, yeah, Jeff Bridges in here. I guess it's got two versions on there. Theatrical and extended broadcast television cut. Um, then we have here, we have The Devil's Eight. This looked totally up my alley. Uh, Christopher George, Fabian, Tom Nardini. It's got a bunch of these people. Larry Bishop, Ross Hagen, Ralph Meeker. A lot of character actors, kind of uh, Dirty Dozen style thing, Man on a Mission. Uh, like, so let's see how many of these guys survive. I love Man on a Mission movies. Like I love the whole criminal aspect thing. Six uh, Helps six convicts escape from a chain gang in order to use them in a war on a moonshine ring. I love that. It sounds so awesome. Um Definitely going to check that out. Then we have Hallucination Generation. Tonight you are invited to a pill party. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm not sure how this is going to be. Uh, it could be great. It could be iffy as hell. But, uh, yeah, I ended up picking it up. You never know what you're going to get with one of these ones, if I'll enjoy it or not. Uh, then we have Over the Edge. Uh, this is an Arrow import. Uh, I've always wanted to watch this movie. I hear lots of good things about it. It's like that teen teen kind of hell movies and stuff like that this is one i have not seen I, I really love river's edge so i'm hoping at least for a little bit of that kind of quality in there so over the edge i think kevin dillon's in that one too or uh, sorry matt matt dillon don't want to mix up kevin and matt dillon this uh so i picked up the near dark blu-ray i had the Lionsgate, but apparently this print looks better they told me it looks all right uh it better look better than the Lionsgate one because that was not exactly very good but uh yeah anyways uh Near Dark is, is a pretty damn good movie, right? From 1987. So Then we have The Garden of Torment, which sounded really weird. The European cult cinema collection. Um, yeah, it just looked really weird. The Extreme Erotic Mysteries of the Fascinating Orient. So, yeah, I grabbed it. Didn't know much about it. Uh, sounded interesting enough. And then we have a 4K. Should have priced on this one at the beginning. It's Don't Look Now. Uh, not watched this movie in years. Nicholas Roge. It's obviously a classic. 
um, Donald Sutherland, and I just have not have not seen this in forever. So hopefully the sticker comes off. I don't want it scuffing up the slipcover. You know how crazy people are like me. Uh, then we have One Cut of the Dead. This Hollywood edition has uh, the extra movie on here as well. Really fun movie. So um, it also has One Cut of the Dead in Hollywood, which is another movie on there. So it's very cool. Then we have Ricky O, the story of Ricky from 88 Films, uh, the deluxe edition. Uh, yeah, I love this movie from 1991. Cat 3, Hong Kong, Insanity, Violence, Punch to the Head, Exploding Prison movie. The best, Ricky O. Uh, then we have Robotrix, and this is one is kind of one that uh, if you have not seen, you got to see it. If you like these Cat 3 movies, man, these are both from 1991, actually. So uh, this is, movie is nuts. Like, this this guy makes this, like, robot body, and, like, he runs around raping and killing and fighting everybody. It's just an insane action movie of sleaze, and uh, just get this. If, if you're, get your pervert card and watch Robotrix, trust me. Uh, one of four killer robot movies from 1991, believe it or not. Then we have uh, Blood, Guts, and Sunshine. This is Cinema Wasteland exclusive Blu-ray. The history of horror made in Florida. So, uh, very cool. This is done by the uh, the guys at the uh, Sleaze Box, Gator Blade Films, Sean Donahue and Chris Woods. Um, there's interviews with a bunch of people in here. Um, I know they're going to have... Uh, Tons of people in here. So, yeah, there's going to be talking about William Griffey, Marcus Cook. I'm sure that Joel D. Weinkoop is in there. They're probably talking about, uh, you see the Mako Jaws of Death on there. We're going to talk, obviously, about Herschel Gordon Lewis. It looks like we got some Bob Clark love on there. And, uh, yeah, Killing Spree, um, American Guinea Pig, Blood and Guts, and uh, some Bob Glazer. So, we got Creature Black. We got lots of stuff going on on that cover. From Severn Films, we got Overboard with Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn. Gotta love Kurt. He's the best, right? I don't know. I've, I think I've seen part of this on television. I don't know if I've ever seen uh, um, ever on disc or anything like that. Uh, it's been years if I had seen it. Then we have Snow Beast with Bo Sevzin and Clint Walker. Appears to be some sort of Sasquatch movie. Uh, I love Clint Walker. Bo Sevzin's cool as well. Um, yeah, this is from the Retro Media. Not seen that. And then we have Evil Tunes, which I had signed by Fred Olin Ray, who was there. Um, never seen this film. Uh, always wanted to. Looked right up my alley. Looks fun. Cool. Had got Evil Tunes. We have Shock Cinema, which uh, the Tempe table was there with J.R. Bookwalter and James L. Edwards. Very cool. Uh, picked this one up. This is a documentary. has all these interviews with people like Fred Olin Ray, Charles Band, Scott Spiegel, Jeff Bird, David Dakota. Um, yeah, lots of people. About independent filmmaking. If I remember the Shock Cinemas... There was like four of these uh, discs on here, all four volumes. So on the Blu-ray, still sealed, so I can't open it up and show you. But uh, signed as well. So, And then we have a couple from Sam Hell, which I've not seen his movies. I don't know what I'm getting into, but Love Dump. I think the back is explicit as fuck, sister, so I can't show you that. But um, I will show you the front, which is almost as explicit <laughs> and uh, I don't even know if I could show the front of this cover either All right, so we're going to do it like that this is called Flesh Eater X uh, yeah pretty gnarly stuff I, I have no idea what I'm getting into I talked to him for a bit um, he's a real cool guy knew a lot about some Japanese crazy films and stuff like that so uh, not every day you get to ask people about re film recommendations and weird stuff so yeah and then we have Sons of Steel which was some future video they also put out Zombie Army which I have on VHS and I rewatched for 91 and I was like oh uh, 
Wish I wouldn't have done that. That shouldn't have happened. But uh, you might have seen some psychedelic titties on the back there. Um, is titties still... Do, do we still say that? Are we allowed to say that? So, yeah, anyways, Sons of Steel. This looks like a crazy, super fun Australian movie from the late 80s that went theatrical there in Australia, but never here. Uh, and I watched some of the, the footage she had on the TV, and I was like, at first I was like, I don't know, the cover and everything looks like one of those weird throwbacks that might not deliver. And I saw like some of the stuff on the screen, and I was like, oh, that's going to deliver something. Um, he also was released in Zombie Army, which I have on VHS to watch, rewatch for 91, and I was just like, I don't need that on Blu-ray. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with it, but you know, it's just a shot on video. And for 25, I'm like, that's, nah, I'm good. This one was just dirt cheap at Brian's table. Hansel and Gretel get baked, still sealed, so why not for the price? Uh, Mexico Barbario. This is one of the Horror Pack limited editions. Uh, yeah, so for 10 bucks, I decided to grab this. I hear this is a really cool film. I know IFC put out the DVD, but uh, I wanted to check out the Blu-ray. Uh, Dark Sky put out the, the Blu-ray, sorry about uh, the DVD. Sorry about that. So yeah, I'm willing to check that out for sure. Then we have Logan. A brand new sealed, five dollars there. I was like, yeah, I love Logan. Why not? I know I'm not the biggest superhero fan on a lot of it, but the price, I was like, I like that one quite a bit. We have the Deadlands, just a three a three spot on Blu-ray. Looks like some crazy fighting and everything like that. Then we have This Girl is Badass, five bucks, a magnet, still sealed. Some of these like cheaper ones you just grab, right? Uh the Murato, in a city of violence, one man will stand up and fight. Badass martial arts film, nonstop, awesome. Do not miss it. A lot like martial arts films. I'll pick them up if I see them. And then last, we have Brawler, Rivals, Enemies, Brothers. Brawler is another quality uh, addition to the classic pantheon of fight films. I've never seen this one, but uh, the price was relatively cheap. And I, I got it because Mark Center was in it. That's what I remember now. And Mark Center was in um, The Lost, and I always was really impressed with his performance, so I grabbed it. Um, and I guess we got some DVDs here. I've not seen this one in years. Frank and Jesse with uh, Rob Lowe, Bill Paxton, and Randy Travis. It's the uh, obviously the Frank and Jesse James story. I've not watched it since the days at VHS. But for a few bucks uh, slash barcode, I was like, oh, well, I didn't notice that. But still, for three bucks, I'm willing to watch it again. I don't know if I have the DVD here of Frank and Jesse, but I'm interested in revisiting it. And then we have a couple more DVDs. The Underground, the true story of uh, Phil Schneider. This is a Vinegar Syndrome. I mean, a Massacre video release. I try to pick up all Massacre's releases. Uh, most of them are interesting or good. And then we have uh, Flesh Contagium, also a Massacre Body Mutation, Mind Destruction, a film by Lorenzo Laporti. Um, I think this is an Italian crazy movie. Uh, it's supposed to be filled with gore and everything like that. Flesh Contagium. And then last, we just had so many, some flyers. But Future Video gave me this little bonus VHS that's supposed to have some upcoming uh, glimpses of upcoming movies and everything like that. So, yeah, that is everything. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Sorry for the poor audio quality. It couldn't have happened at a worse video, to be brutally honest. And I will get a Tascam replacement ASAP. Might be, might be a few weeks, honestly. I don't, usually drop two to $300 on it. So I just wasted a lot. Not wasted. I spent a lot of money at Wasteland. And the last thing I want to do is spend another $300. So, yeah. Anyways, guys, back to the video. I hope you enjoyed it. Leave comments and everything. Um, uh, Definitely going back to the next wasteland. Very excited. Hopefully we keep doing them and this uh, pandemic doesn't get too out of hand again. It's always getting out of hand and everything like that. But I uh, just wish you guys the best and uh, yeah, see ya. All right, guys. Thank you very much for watching. And as always, have a good one.
you, you, your outfit suggests that you're like the weird character they find in like an 80s sex comedy that's on the beach with like a metal detector. Like, hey, you guys know about any hot chinks? You ready? <laughs>